Nobody move, nobody get hurt. Nobody move, nobody get hurt. The youth and just are just up in a white collar shirt. As some what? of them wear till it resemble dirt. He said he want me to join the army. <laughs> I ain't gonna do it, officer. Hello there. You are listening to the Quarters of Three Movie Podcast for <laughs> not a movie. For the TV show True Detective, which we watched this week uh, instead of watching it when it was airing, and instead of seeing Divergent, by the way, congratulations on Divergent. Uh, Divergent is doing very well. We're very happy for Shailene Woodley. Uh, let's see. So to discuss True Detective with you, I have with me today. Oh, I am Tom Chick, and I have with me Christian Molpstinsky. Uh, I'd actually like to be known as by my original name, which is Ferris Oxide. And with our true detective... Kelly, how do you do a tagline for eight episodes of a TV show? Let's see what you, what you got for us. Kelly Wand, the true detective tagline, take it away. It's seven dot 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 eight's good. I see what you did there. No. Uh, <laughs> Hey, I wait. You opened with, hey, good work on Divergent. Kudos to Shailene Woodley. But we didn't see that movie because we didn't want to see it. So why are you suddenly now? In oh, I still don't want to see it. I have no desire to see that. But you're like, but because you like Shailene Woodley, you're praising the whole movie. Uh, no. So I think part of the Divergent was kind of a risk in that, you know, <laughs> it's just another Hunger Games, and they're trying to sell it to the same audience. Does that audience <laughs> want to see that? Risk. Well, it's a risk in that I don't think people make Hunger Game books as well. They know Veronica Roth's Divergent novel. Young adult shit's the rage right now, so and it's the least risky thing you can make is a Hunger, Hunger Games. I disagree. Uh, and I think there are plenty of things like that Golden Compass and Mortal no, no. Instruments, City of Bones, and what else? Mortal Instruments wasn't a hit? No, all these young adult things are just tanking, and you won't see them anymore. What was the other one that... Uh, Instruments was a hit, so maybe I'm dumb. No, like there's, there's a bunch of young adult uh, properties that are just not catching. Um, I thought well, there'd only well, Divergent, Divergent certainly has, though. I mean, I see it all the time. You know, I substitute teach at my kid's school, and I see that book everywhere. No, I mean, I, I don't think... It's nowhere near as popular as Hunger Games, is it? Well, I don't know if it's as popular, but I know that when I was, you know, I was uh, in a sixth grade class the other day, and uh, a lot of the sixth grade girls had that on their desk. And when I asked them about it, they were just like, "You haven't read it? Are you crazy? This is so much better than Hunger Games." And I would oh, also really? bet you that they had uh, that uh, Golden Compass. I don't even know if I'm calling that the right thing. And Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, and what's the one where the girl's a witch when she turns sixteen? The craft. Uh, no, that's, the, oh. that's something different. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that people are reading those books, Dingus, but I don't think that it's a sure thing to take a young adult property uh, and to make mm-hmm. it into a movie. And it's certainly there have been several that have borne that out, where they didn't do as well as the studios hoped. Divergent had a, a fantastic opening weekend. Uh, and that's especially good considering it didn't have – like Shailene Woodley is a very new – uh, like I don't think a lot of folks know who she is. She doesn't have Jennifer Lawrence's cachet, for instance. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Uh, so I, I just, I'm glad it did well because I like her as an actress a lot, and I would love to see her being so successful that she can do smaller good things, and we're not going to see her playing the sidekick in trash like Spectacular now. Uh, we're not going to see her <laughs> wasted in that kind of thing. Um, but Divergent. Oh. 
Well, also, the word, I mean, it's a little weird word to throw on a movie title. Hunger Games has sort of a certain hook to it as a title. Right. The, the word divergent, I mean, a lot of people are going to say, what does it that mean? mean anything. Yeah. But Hunger Games was, was kind of a meaningless phrase, it turned out. No, but it's, it's, it sounds cool. catches your imagination. Would yeah. you say that it's, no one goes would you say that Hunger Games as a, as a title is catching fire? Mocking no, I would, I would say it's, it's like kicking a hornet's nest. <laughs> not, a hornet, not a hornet's, a hornet dingus, it's a tracker jacker. Mm. Ah, he remembered. Um, <laughs> did you read those books? Because I like the Hunger Games books. Uh, let's save that for the books the podcast. Kelly Wong, what would be oh. your favorite book that hasn't been adapted into a movie yet, but should be? Uh, no one cares. Any Hall's a movie, right? <laughs> uh, also this weekend. No one cares. Is that what you said? <laughs> the Muppet no one cares. I think no one it cares. Kind of, it feeds into directly into why I think that I was okay with us doing this, actually. The, uh, the, Muppet, the Muppet movie tanked. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that? No one wants to see Jim Henson-less Muppets. I don't. Personally, apparently you're right, Kelly Warren. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, I didn't even know it was out. It's like Star Wars without Lucas. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we did not want to see Divergent because we're not 14 year old girls. <laughs> uh, we did not want to see the Muppet movie because I didn't want to see it. But apparently, you guys are picky about it not having Jim Henson. Whatever. Well, and it's like a yeah. it's Kermit has a Russian accent and he's mistaken for a criminal. And I thought I'd seen that theme played out too often, like in um, everything. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so we didn't see that. <laughs> like, every, like Crimea. We could have seen Need for Speed. We did not want to see that. Uh, uh, wait, this guy on the four or on the quarter to three movie podcast thing was saying oh, it's, it's not as bad as you think because there's a lot of real driving in it or vehicular shit. Like yeah, that's absolutely untrue. By the way, there's so, there's Sorry. no way they were doing stunt practical stunts with those expensive sports cars. No, but maybe it looked CG. Maybe it looked more Cannonball Run and less Fast Six. Tell me one I invite you to see it. So you didn't see it. That's what I'm trying to trap you. Into. No, I didn't see it. And you remember last week, I instead That's went to surprising. see the, the end of 300 Rise of an Empire again. I feel I made the right call. Um, so instead of seeing a movie this uh, yeah. week, we yeah. all so, – and you guys are partly to bear for this. So I last week finished watching True Detective and told you guys, you know what? Don't bother. Uh, <laughs> I made no, no bones about this. Delaying the podcast for it. I, I basically said, you don't, you don't have to do that. And you guys were like, no, we want to see it. And when we couldn't agree on a movie to see, we, we all sort of put our heads together and decided, well, you know what? If you guys are going to watch the rest of this True Detective thing, have at it, and then we'll talk about it on the podcast, and we'll have a True Detective podcast. Um, so here we are, a couple weeks to nah. because everybody is – you know, already probably talked out the finale and, and all that stuff. We, you know, yeah. an eight weeks of water cooler talk. Uh, so we're just going to do our little last minute version of that with a true detective podcast. I think it hides that this was a terrible idea. I kind of regret it. And I regret it even more knowing that we could have seen the Wes Anderson movie, but somehow didn't think it would come out this weekend. Uh, we could still see the Wes Anderson movie. Um, no, I know, but doing a TV show, it's a slippery slope. Slippery slope. Well, uh, what we're going to do from now on is every week we're going to have a segment where we talk about that week's episode of Modern Family. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool then. <laughs> so as long as it's a slippery slope that arrives at watching Modern Family, Kelly Wand. It's, Since it's already flying down the slope. Um, right. Uh, real quick, uh, did you guys see any movies this week? 
Why do you say it like that? Like, because I oh, because I want you to ask me if I saw any this week. Hmm. I see. I wouldn't have asked that naturally if you hadn't said that. Said that just now, I would have gone. No, no I, just I wanted to do a public service announcement before we talk about True Detective. All right. So it wasn't Divergent or Need for Speed, but it was new in theaters. Mm, no, it's new on DVD. <laughs> new on DVD. Yes. <laughs> so I watched. I watched Anchorman Two, which ah. is so incredibly bad, and I don't know what. Uh, comedy. Everyone has. Been, the thing is, Kelly, want Anchorman Two? Not a comedy. It is not funny. It thinks it's a comedy, uh, but the joke is on it. Um, uh, Anchorman 2 is so horrible. Uh, so th- there was even some fallout in that one of the actors in Anchorman 2 is a fellow who we've seen in a million movies named David Koechner. And he plays the guy in Anchorman who he, he wears a cowboy hat. I think that's his defining mm-hmm. trait. And yeah. Anchorman 2 I would describe as just loudmouth comedy. It's just guys just being loud and, and saying unfunny jokes that were written for them. Um even Paul Rudd is terrible. Uh, poor Kristen Wiig. They even make her look awful. Uh, um, Harrison Ford, by the way, shows up for his paycheck in Anchorman 2, and he's as bad as everyone. I just want to point out. Yeah, you're making it sound good, as usual. <laughs> um, but uh, at any rate, so Harrison David, Ford. Uh, David Koechner is also in another movie that just came out that I didn't want to see, partly because David Koechner is in it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've had enough of that guy's loudmouth just thinking he's funny and he's just being obnoxious. Um, and that fits for David Koechner in some movies. It doesn't fit in others. So he's in a movie that uh, was directed by a guy who has worked with Adam Wingard before. And based on that, and Adam Wingard did a movie we loved called Your Next, uh, Horrible Way to Die. Uh, he was part of this VHS horror anthology. And so this guy who had done a script for Adam Wingard called uh, – his name is, I think, E.L. Katz, K-A-T-Z uh, – he had directed a movie. It was his first uh, directing job called Cheap Thrills. And uh, it stars from uh, a Thai West movie that we all have seen called Innkeepers. It stars a fellow named Pat Healy and a woman named Sarah Paxton. Um, uh, and it also stars a guy named Ethan Embry, whose name I've heard, but I don't think I knew who he was, and David Koechner. And it looked like some goofy... Uh, just over-the-top, gross-out comedy. And I watched it because I like Pat Healy and because I knew that Yale Katz had worked with Adam Wingard before. And I'm here to say Cheap Thrills is actually kind of good, and it's not a comedy. It's actually kind of a horror movie. Um, so uh, if you did... Wait, it's got both leads from Innkeepers on it? Yeah, yeah. And I don't like Sarah Paxton at all. I, don't, I find her just kind of vapid and annoying, and she is pitch perfect in cheap thrills uh it's one of those things and and, the same, and david keckner by the way he's not playing a loudmouth funny guy uh well, you liked when he got tar poured on him in final destination so i guess that's oh it. that's right that he died on that bridge that's twice that's right i forgot that was david keckner yeah because um, you like watching him get hurt but what do you think of Anchorman One, really quick? Just like Anchorman One is fine. I mean, it's it's before it's, it's, it's less odious. It's, it's among the lesser odious Will Ferrell vehicles, I think. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's overrated. But it's, I, I would agree with you. There. Yeah, but it's let got me tell you, fun parts. Yeah, yes. tell you what, Anchorman One looks like a, a work of genius next to Anchorman Two, though. Huh. Same so, writers. So if I hated Anchorman One, how would I feel about Anchorman Two? You would hate it ten times as much. But right? Dingus is a wild card with comedies. 
No, I think Dingus would not like Anchorman. But everyone is. No okay. one would like. If you saw Anchorman two and you liked it, uh, tweet at us. Let us know because I don't believe that you exist. I don't believe there's a person out there who didn't think Anchorman two was awful. No one came up and said, "Dude, you got to see." Like I don't remember there being any buzz about it once it came out. Like, oh my god, it's the greatest thing. Right. And for good reason. Cheap thrills is the thing. By Cheap way. thrills, especially for you, Kelly Wand. Dingus, it might not be for you. All right, good. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> but Kelly Wand, I think you make Dingus' zone narrower than it really is. Mm, okay, Dingus, Kelly Wand thinks you should see Cheap Thrills. <laughs> I should see it first and preview it for him. Uh, one of my favorite things about Cheap Thrills, and this is one of those movies where uh, I, a big problem with movies is they have a cool premise and they don't have a payoff. Cheap Thrills has an intriguing premise that I don't even want to tell you about because I like how it reveals its premise. Cheap Thrills, Thrills has a fantastic final shot. Uh, and that not many movies hmm. can, can say that. So there you go. Does it have a final line that you can understand? There's no line. It's a silent oh. shot. There's there's no no dialogue in that last shot. It doesn't need it. Uh, and if you do like Pat Healy, which I, I think we kind of do, Kelly Wan called him uh, Tin Tin in the Innkeepers. I liked him. Uh, synopsis. We just seen Tin Tin before that, so right. So it was kind of was already in my head. Right. It was topical. Yeah. Um, did you guys know? I think this is true. Pat Healy. Is in Magnolia. What? Does anyone remember That's, that? You no, would, I bet you remember the part, but you don't remember it's him. When Julianne Moore goes into the pharmacy, oh yeah, to pick up a prescription and cusses out the pharmacist. Uh, He's the pharmacist oh, yeah. who says, "Now these, you know, you shouldn't mix these together." I'm pretty sure that's him. Uh, Doesn't she just say shut the fuck up? Like over and over. And and what I think was going on there is that Paul Thomas Anderson was just fishing for different takes he could use. And a lot of times you'll see an actor will do this, just repeating the line different ways for whatever reason. And uh, and for whatever reason, I think P.T. Anderson was like, you know, let's just use all of these as as one shot of just her flipping. What's the what's the Ryan O'Neill example? He's on a beach and he thinks his wife's dead or something. and He just goes, no, 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 no. (laughs) What movie is that? Norman Mailer directed it. Yeah. Tough guys don't dance. Jeez. (laughs) It's famous. All right. And he looked at it later and went, dude, what? <laughs> you really have to trust Miller. the director. You know, he can make you look silly if you're not careful. Did you ever see Norm Mailer's fist fight with Rip Torn? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's on YouTube. That's on uh, YouTube. It's so good. Isn't it? And that, he looks so different. Have we, have we determined, by the way, Rip Torn is still alive, right? Yes. Yeah, so is he Pagoda. Good. All right. Jesus. How many times have we got to go over this? Dingus, let's, so much for movies. Uh, uh, yeah. let's, let's talk some TV. Dingus, <laughs> what movie... Or non-movie, did we see this week? Oh, well, this week we saw True Detective, mm. the 2014 first season, American crime drama mystery, not TV, HBO series, mm. about two Louisiana detectives who solve a murder in 17 years flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was created pitch. and written by Nick Pizzolato. And directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. It stars Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. True Detective is rated HBO for nudity. Wait, don't they say like TV 14 or say, isn't that stuff on HBO as well, Dink? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's just rated HBO. It's not TV. Oh. It's oh, HBO. Fair point. All right. Rated HBO for nudity, handcuffs in a sexual situation. Invocation what? of the name Nietzsche and pervasive tattoos throughout. 
Uh, true detect. I I I wasn't aware of this. I, I, you know, I think I knew this, but it I had to check. Um, TV does get rated. So on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, True Detective is at eighty six percent positive. Eighty six percent of the reviews of True Detective are like, yeah, thumbs up. I was get smarts number. Agent so number. they don't rate individual episodes. They just rate the series as a whole. Uh, pass. Or is it distillation of all the episodes ratings? Uh, you know what? I just typed in True Detective and a number popped type up. Type circumference. I, I, <laughs> I type, it, I'm feeling lucky. Kelly Wand, you win. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, True Detective is at 88. Wow. Mm. See, the narrow spread is, in a way, the highest praise. I have no idea how much money it made. And I furthermore don't really understand TV ratings. You talk about like Nielsen nice. points yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But I do know... That uh, apparently the finale was the most watched finale on HBO, second only to the Six Feet Under finale. Uh, well, was it yeah. Sopranos? Are you kidding? Oh, uh, maybe. You know what? I read that dingus. I, I thought I read that. I, uh, I can't. He might have written it. <laughs> I might have written it and then read it. And uh, yeah, I think it beat. I don't know. You know, that can't be right. Six okay, then let me give let me give you a fact. Then uh, uh, it had average gross viewers of eleven million. I wrote that down after reading it somewhere. Don't know what, what it means. Viewers, but I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> nice, Kelly. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly Wand. I don't know. How, what, <laughs> good luck yeah. with this. Why don't you synopsize for us eight hours of television? Boom. Let's do this. Do I have eight hours to do it in? No, you don't. I don't. I think Seven. that the the tape will run out uh, before the tape. you. Yeah, because we use old-fashioned tape for this. Do we? Yeah, we do. We use one of those eight, those little reel-to-reel things. It's up on a platter right here. Uh-huh. What do you call those? Those uh, discs? No, they're little tape spools. You know, like in the conversation. Violets. A... Platins. You're terrible. Planchets. You're 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 tape as planchet. bad at technology as I am at math, Kelly Wand. That's well, you're a, you're a technology department, or I am. I know it's not Dingus, for the love of God. <laughs> oh, good Lord, hope not. So, Kayoan, you don't have eight hours, I'm afraid. To do what? To give us a synopsis of I, the plot of True Detective. wasn't listening. Hey, you know what else I came up with? I don't. I came up with a word. That's great. <clears throat> what is the word? Tell us the word first. And then bat fleck. App fleck? No, bat fleck. Bat fleck? Yeah. Is this the new Batman movie? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so glad you mentioned that because keep that in the chamber for another year or he's so. He's a detective though, and he's from Detective Comics. True oh, that's detective a good point. Com- true detective. That's why I know the term true detective. Batman Those are the comics that I knew that sounded familiar. Okay. England had Sherlock Holmes, and we had Batman. It was a fucking deadly conflict between them. Who would win in a fight between them? Uh, well, Doctor Watson outnumbers no. Alfred. It, it, it would be him up against Robin. Alfred's like Watson. Robin is like the Baker Street Irregulars. Robin is like Mrs. Hudson. Oh, yeah. Inside me. All right. So did we get a synopsis? No. No, we didn't right. even find yeah. out what it's called yet. Yeah, you have to guess. The True Detectophysis. <sighs> That's what it is. You're really good. Good. Well, then, Kelly Wand, I would like you to drive it like you stole it. All right, Harrelson, quit hitting on the bailiff there and meet your new partner. Best actor, Matthew McConaughey. He's a little weird, like Duchovny, but you guys got eight fucking hours of screen time to bond, so maybe take it easy in the first seven. I'm giving you guys this missing antlers case. 
Someone called in a tree in a field. Need you both to go down there and put yellow tape up. Good luck. And remember, no bonding. McConaughey, right on, right on, right on. Hey, I said that's enough of that. I'm warning you. Now get your asses out of my office and into the tape store. Which is blocked off, by the way. I guess there was a holdup at the tape store. So the owner came by here to borrow some. But we only had the happy birthday ones. It all worked out. <laughs> that guy wasn't in the series, I don't think. But anyway, <clears throat> so, you know, maybe factor that into your uh, estimated time for parking. Any more stupid questions, you mullet heads? No, Sarge. I-, I said watch your mouth, Harrelson. This ain't no sassafras farm. Why didn't you get the memo? Damn it, McConaughey, quit making origami shit out of my beer can. I was fucking drinking that. <laughs> Miss, can I buy you a drink? That's Woody, by the way. Work in progress. <clears throat> Miss, can I buy you a drink? No response. Yeah, this woman under the tree here's definitely dead. Or a lesbian. We'll put out an APB on... Women with antlers. See if for Jane Doe here had any friends she might have locked horns with over a John. What do you think? She did? Man wasn't meant to view his own death, Marty. First man to die, he wouldn't even have known who was coming. Probably thought Kane was just bringing him a knife. When you look in these eyes, black and lifeless like a doll's eye. Because like the good book says, he who has a why to live can bear almost any who. Now... Uh, the only book I've read is Sahara. <laughs> only books with endings are human bodies, Marty. Blood's the words. Our skin's the dust jacket, table of contents, the pancreas. But the human heart, that's the spine, Marty. Our own spines, they don't really have a place in my analogy. Point is, books start and we end as pulp. That giant lumberjack in the skies, he gotta keep feeding the machine. Only reason he made us was so he could torture us with the realization. You know, in Lethal Weapon, uh, Mel Gibson conveyed crazy just by bugging his eyes out. <laughs> saying, sorry to hear all that. What did you say your name was again? Xylitol. Okay, yeah. Uh, Norway, any of your friends gone missing lately? Not really. Someone had to get moited. For that, you got to pay double. That's the same character, by the way. <laughs> what about fingerprints, ballistics tests? Know anything about those? Nah, we don't do no kinky shit here, although one of my antler sets went missing about ten minutes ago. We get him from a creepy guy in a lawnmower. The kids all call him Paschetti Face, because he does this really kick-ass impression of Chef Boyetti riding a lawnmower. The lawnmower is really talented, although it's missing a few gears, so it can only move backwards in spirals. Hmm, the Spaghetti Face. Seemed like maybe he was missing a few gears. Nah, he was a real whack job, though. Kept calling himself Carcassonne, the king in yellow, made her deed to Cthulhu, even though he never wore any yellow. Just the Piscetti. Your friend Harrelson here want a hand job? Ma'am, we're on duty, so I'll have to cuff you first. Okay, so the murder lawyers for Reverend Buttle here are worried that these antler killings are anti-Christian, so you guys will be working with this task force. And by working with, I mean you'll never see or hear from them again, and they won't be pertinent to the outcome of the case in any way, shape, or form. Do I make myself clear, detectives? Mumbo-jumbo in book form. Why don't y'all go back to Ghostbusters Police Academy before society collapses like a metaphor for starlight? Damn you, McConaughey. One more pull from the 80s and you're suspended. With pay. Honey, I found some lipstick on your zipper, these panties in your pocket, and this underage hooker in our bed. Also, some chick named Ecstasy keeps calling and asking you to hang on. I wrote it down. Fuck her in the ass again. We'll talk about what a frigid bitch your wife is. 
Is all this work related? Now, baby, you know I can't talk about the sex. Besides, I barely even notice what underage hookers wear. Whoa, honey, you can't wear that feather bow at a school. You're only 24. Actually, can Daddy borrow that for a couple nights? And those fishnets? Marty, are you borrowing our daughter's undergarments for another woman to wear before you have sex with her? Baby, please, how could you ever think that? No, I'm a transvestite. Wait, that's not Woody Harrelson. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, can you take off those a little slower there, maybe, and turn cherry pie up a little? Don't worry, Marty. took a lot of blow and so far has been untrustworthy and out of control, but I think I talked Chucky here into setting up a breakfast at Danny's with the killer. He won't try anything stupid now that he knows he can't trust anything I say. Wait, so that whole shootout just now was pointless? Marty, them bullets ain't nothing but the final chorus and a dance of death's been going on this stinking mud ball since the mud first learned how to squelch. Uh, the only song I know is the Kelly song. And that soft cell song, Tainted Meat. <laughs> Guys, please, I'll do whatever you want. Just please stop talking or fucking shoot me. Christ, ready. I can't take another way to this. You guys are sick. How can my ministry help you today, Detective Connolly? McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck. Damn it, Zalatel, I told you not to call me anymore unless it's an emergency. It's being horny count as an emergency. So I tell I haven't had a drink in five years. I love my wife and kids, so if you don't have any legitimate police business, I'd like to report a breaking and entering of my ass. <sighs> Look, Zawatal, I know yours is the Mount Olympus of vaginas, but let me explain something. I'm a guy. We'll fuck anything. Tree, dead snake, wives, we don't give a shit. One sec, call waiting. Marty, I got us a lead. It's only a nine-hour drive, but I came up with some theories on good and evil I could share with you on the way. But Yeah, Chrome, I'll be right over. <laughs> Chain of command! It was the chain of command, I tells ya. I invented jump to conclusions. What the hell is wrong with you people? Alright, Marty, you gotta check out this chain of command lead. I'll work on drawing more lines on the wall map. Wait a second. The back of your head just made me remember 30 years ago. I remember the words green ears. Huh. Martian corn. That's it. The killer lives in Kentucky. <laughs> you thinking what I'm thinking? Let's go. Bingo. Let's do this. Shotgun. Shit. <laughs> okay, but I call front seat. <laughs> what you call me for? My character gets to actually do something? Yeah, look, I don't trust your partner, not just because he's black, all right? We're both black. Look, we have no idea how big this thing goes. Everybody's in on it, maybe even you and me. So you want the call or not when something stupid happens? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, after a seven-hour build-up? How stupid a finale are we talking? You want to make flowers on me when you're done? <laughs> I say, is your head in law, Joe Chap? Father, I was born for the theater. <laughs> Marty, I'll go into that thick crit tree. <laughs> Fuck. It's hard to act. He really does deserve it. Marty, I'll go into that thick tree cover alone. You look at stuff inside the house. <laughs> Okay, if he shoots you, scream for me, and I'll try to find you or something. <laughs> a bunch of stuff in a pipe happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tagline. <laughs> Marty, I had a spiral-shaped acid flashback right before me and the killer's knife teamed up on my stomach. Then an alien's head told me to try harder and blew up. Now I believe in heaven. So let me out of this wheelchair. I'll drive us to our next case, or into that tree yonder. 
Next case, we just antagonized the governor, our own police department, my daughter's possessed, my wife's married to the chain of command guy, we're fighting Lovecraftian elder gods, there's like a thousand loose ends to tie up. I know, Marty, and I have theories on all of it. Marty, you're steering us into the tree. <laughs> I've been trying since we met. Sure is easier sober. Subverting <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> the genre. Processing. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Woody Harrelson's hard to do. But I'm, I've really come a long way on my hookers. Well, you know, on this podcast, who does a great McCarmahy? Yeah, I do. Not me, it's not you. No. Nope. And he'll never do it because. Cool, he- yeah. <sighs> See? We can tease him into doing it, maybe, if we apply ourselves. I hope so. All right. I could do it for this podcast, but you wouldn't understand a single line that I said. <laughs> he has uh, been imitating Woody Harrelson smoking lately. Let's see, I, he, he has, uh, I have seen that impression, uh, but he hasn't done the voice lately. So, all right, well, Dingus. Uh, what? Uh, you know, just Woody Harrelson, uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, Matthew McConaughey had a very distinctive way to smoke cigarettes in True Detective. Oh, you see, you said Woody and it threw me off. Sorry, I screwed it up. Yeah, Jesus. They're interchangeable. Well, that was one of my favorite parts of the show, the series, actually, when Woody Harrelson stole his cigarette. Uh, that's right, yeah. When he, yeah, when things got really serious. Yeah. He took his cigarette mm-hmm. and, and the, just the, the little look, this is a, like one of maybe two moments of humor, um, they're at the bar there, and Woody Harrelson takes this cigarette that Matthew McConaughey has just lit, and, and Matthew McConaughey just kind of gives a look and then pulls out a new cigarette. It's a great little moment. All right, well, before we get into the great moments, though, let's uh, let's sort of check in. So I, I think you guys know I was not a fan of this. I kind of waved you off of it. Uh, I have a lot of problems. I'm sorry? Well, but while you were watching it, you didn't wave us off of it, but then when you finished watching it, you Well, I wasn't going to recommend it or not until I'd actually you said it wasn't worth seeing. Thing. Right. Um, right. So once I was done with it, I basically said, you guys don't need to bother and you guys wanted to see it. And that's fine. So what I'm curious is if you guys did like it or feel it was worth the time. Uh, and then I'll talk a little bit about why I didn't like it or why I didn't think it's worth the time. Now, a lot of folks, this obviously very critically acclaimed. It did very well, of course. Um, a lot of people who did watch it really liked it. And I want to talk about that, too. But first, I want to get uh, you guys overall impressions on it. Um, Dingus, why don't you start us off? Um, I uh, appreciate how ambitious it is, especially at the beginning. Uh, essentially, I feel like, uh, and this is why one of the uh, two reasons why I don't didn't mind doing this for the podcast, uh, or sort of retroactively feel that way about this reason. The other reason is a proactive reason. Um, but I kind of feel like I'm watching a an unedited movie. Um, but, uh, I think the, it's, it's a classic example of somebody not knowing the size of his idea. And it, uh, is about maybe a three hour, uh, maybe four hour show that's good. And then it just is a lot of driving around and becomes a parody of itself and really very quickly makes me hate it. Um, I really feel that's unfortunate because there's stuff there in the beginning that's really valuable, uh, and then it just r- really just runs into the ground. Okay. I have two things I want to ask you about what you said, but first, Kelly Warren, get in here. What did you think of it overall? Uh, I think it was worth seeing, so I disagree with that statement. Um, but I really, th- I was really enjoying it till the last episode, and then I thought it whiffed on the finale, and then... I felt like it ruined the entire series. 
that reminds me when you say that, Kelly Wan, kind of of how we felt about uh, nonstop. Um, the yeah. Neeson thing was like there were some intriguing things happening, and when it whiffs on the finale, that erases a lot of the goodwill I have for the intriguing things earlier on. Um, so Although with that, I think we both broke up with nonstop fairly early, but I was still with True Detective. I think longer than even than Dingus maybe was. Like I didn't mind the driving on. I really liked the look of it, and I thought they had an interesting dynamic, the two leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the last episode just felt so studio notes or something or just like two different just a different show the style was way different and i was very puzzled by it okay uh, uh dingus you mentioned that you thought it was ambitious early on uh what, what do you mean by that what was ambitious what? uh by that i think the idea that uh uh jeez uh, i don't even know how to say his name uh that nick pizzolato is going for um it's like he's writing a novella for tv and it makes me think of the idea of J. Michael Straczynski, I'm sorry to bring this up yet again, um, writing a novel for television when he wrote and created Babylon 5. Um, that he did a whole story arc over the course of five seasons, and he conceived the whole thing going in, and it was just a self-contained thing. And I like the idea, because often you get this sense when you're watching a television show that becomes popular, and um, I got this since watching this show, The Blacklist, that I really fell for. Um, it's a James Spader show. Um, I really fell for it. It had really great momentum, and then it got renewed, and it after it got picked up, it started to churn out new episodes, and you got a sense that, boy, they weren't expecting to have to write anymore for this. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice to have this BBC kind of sense of, we're going to write one arc, and that's all we're going to do. This is going to be the arc for this season. It's going to have these two guys. Once they're done, they're done. And we're just going to do this story over eight hours. And uh, it's tough for a bunch of movie people and, and Carrie Joju Fukunaga and Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. They're all film guys, and that's a different pace. And I think that that's ambitious to do an eight-hour thing in TV which takes a different pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I kind of like that they went for that. I mean, I liked the, the, the feel of it early on. I liked the time they were taking. I mean, a lot of people make jokes about how long it takes Matthew McConaughey to smoke a cigarette or the, how long it takes him to say his lines. And, but for me, it, it feels like some, he's kind of in a Malick movie some, some of the time. And I, I like that. I mean, I liked what they were going for in those first three hours. I just think they went off the rails. Yeah, I don't. Uh, spending eight hours on this, I think, is, is a lot of what. I mean, I, I think what it comes down to is that this is TV. And Dingus, you talked, you mentioned earlier about uh, the project not really knowing the size of itself. Uh, this is not. This is not t- a TV series sized project. This is movie sized, uh, and there is no way that this needed to be eight hours. Uh, and and there's no way I think that it even should have been eight hours, and partly because. It, it, it expanded to fill these eight hours, and what that did, and I think this is part of why a lot of people liked it, is uh, by becoming a TV show, it makes different kinds of demands on the audience. And by becoming a TV show, it almost doesn't matter if it's movie-length or TV show-length as a, as a concept, because what happens when you become a TV show, when you are split into eight-hour-long episodes – is the kind of demands you make on your audience are very different than the kind of demands you make on 
a regular audience, a movie audience. And, and the rewards are very different as well. And I think if you're conditioned for those demands and those rewards, you're more likely to enjoy this and to accept the fact that it's being blown up into eight hours. And, and what I am not willing to give this and, and what I don't feel it deserves is that kind of time because what the, the time that you're asking for and, and I just binged on it like I completely I literally watched it all at once. you know I, I watched half of it one night and then I slept and then the next day I watched the second half of it so I watched this pretty much straight through uh, and I think because of that I was keenly aware and I imagine you guys are in a similar situation of how much filler was in there um, and, and, and for TV that's part of how it works is the TV doesn't just want that one hour you spend one, watching an episode it also wants your time between the episodes it wants you between the episodes to think about it you know, to, to, to talk about it, this whole water cooler dynamic. It wants you to, to spend a week anticipating what is coming. Uh, so all of that downtime is, I think, part of the experience that, that TV tries to create. And I, I imagine that's a lot of why some people liked this. But I, like you, Dingus, I don't think the material was there. And not necessarily because of the filler. Because, by the way, I think the actors did a great job filling that time. Uh, the way that Kerry Fukunaga shoots, he, he's a fantastic director. And I think he's his own cinematographer as well. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful work. Uh, and it's, it's so above par for what you normally get in TV. Um, but I, I, don't, I, I don't think the script is good. I, I don't think this is a good uh, detective story. Uh, I don't think it's that well written. I don't think the characters are, are interesting, but I don't think they de- develop in any meaningful ways that, that you would expect over this sort of length of TV. So my problem isn't just the, the length of time that, that it wanted from me, but my problem is I just don't think it's very well written. Um, I don't think it is either, and I think the writer constantly shows his insecurity when he talks about He talks about uh, you're, you're making are you really going to make me say this shit? And he talks about narrative several times and he makes <laughs> story jokes. I think he's an insecure writer and I don't, I don't even know if this is a detective story. I think it's, I think it's a chance for a couple of actors to create interesting characters and then get to play around in them. And I don't think it goes any, any more beyond that because everything else is derivative and silly. And even some of the execution. I mean, I do like the direction um, and I love some of the production values. I love a lot of the makeup and the, the aging and stuff like that. It saved the the killer's makeup. I think all of, I think a lot of that is wonderful. But one of the things that I did like and that I, I think is it did more easily because it's eight hours of TV is this idea of a story split between fifteen years ago and today or yeah. whatever. The, yeah. So I did like how it, it it handled that time span. But again, I don't think there's any reason a movie couldn't have done that. Um, but because you're watching it, and it kind of cheats it in a way too, in that from the get-go you see them then and now. Like you see McConaughey with his long hair and all, looking all burnt out, and you, then you see him as a younger, more fresh-faced guy. They do the thing with Woody Harrelson's hairline and stuff. So from the get-go, they're playing with this idea of then and now. Um, and I think just because they have so much time to kill, eight hours to kill, they could sort of let the, the viewer settle into that more. Um, so I guess it got that out of being eight hours long. Um, but the case winds up being not interesting enough to sustain eight hours. Doesn't that's too. So, so Kelly, yeah, I want to ask. So that's another thing is that is the, so much of the movie is not about the case. It's about the characters. So is this a detective procedural or is this a character study or is it both? I like it as a character study. 
Okay. But I don't think the payoffs are there. And I don't even think the character payoffs are there by the end. Um, Do you think that they're betrayed or that it just never goes there? I don't even know what I was supposed to think. I mean, the wife forgives him. But she's. I had to have someone explain to me who I was watching it with that – because I go, oh, look, they got married again because she's got the ring on. They're like, no, it's what it's like a different ring. It's oh, like, you think she remarried Woody Harrelson? Michelle Mar- yeah. I go, wait, you got to get uh, two. <laughs> wait, no, I why don't we just so. use one ring and then we put? I don't get that. But by betrayed, I think. Do you think the characters wound up where the story intended them to, or where they should have? I don't know. They both look like they're going to die, and then neither of them do, and that makes me wonder why. I think what you said is true. There's an insecurity in the part of the writer because he. I think the phrase he was using to describe it early on was it's subverting the genre. And then he's been backpedaling from that. Wait, what's subverting the genre? Exactly. I, don't, I don't see anything subversive in it. I don't either. Oh, yeah. I don't either. I agree with you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the writer is insecure or not, and I don't I don't know him from Adam. I don't know what else he's done. I just think he's not a very good writer. Uh, scenes that are really good, though. I don't think he's untalented. Uh, well, I don't well, – I, I Some of the long stuff you guys are saying was padding. Like I thought it was a somewhat atmospheric. I think when you get to the the climax of the series and they're just looking at boxes and driving and looking at boxes and driving, and I have the feeling that, okay, we've got two scenes where he goes to somebody who's crazy and she yells at him, and then we're driving around, and we're going to drive somewhere else, and I'm like, and now we're doing this, and you made a wonderful joke about the chain of command thing. When, when they started doing chain of command crap, I was like, that's really what you're going to spend this part of the series on yeah. is this chain of command bullshit i mean this is it's where we meaningless. i mean the, the it's not just the finale it's the last two hours is just yeah. dithering and that's why i ask is it a procedural or is it a character study because i think what however you answer it it's not a very good example of either one yeah 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 uh, the characters are interesting, but I hated the fact that the story wanted them to go through this contrived, okay, now we hate each other because you slept with my wife. Uh, that just felt so forced and dopey and soap opera-y to me. They never intersected. I'm sorry? Which would have, like, it would have made more sense if that winds up mattering later or something. Right. I mean, it's just it's this contrived thing. You have to make them split apart so they can come back together. Yeah. And that, that, that was ridiculous. And and also, if it's a character study, I feel like you have left a lot of dangling threads, specifically yeah. with Woody Harrelson's character. Like, all his issues with his wife, and he, like, he hits his daughter at some point, yeah. and that's normally, like, that's that's a pretty big jumping point off point turn. for a character. I don't know about point. I mean, that's something that I want to see addressed and, and acknowledged as, as something like, like, is he... I guess the idea is that he's a terrible father and he has issues with women, and that's just where we're going to leave him. But we're going to redeem McConaughey's character by this mystical encounter with death and so the daughter's love. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really know. It's character study. It just seemed a little muddy to me, and I wasn't real clear and, and contrived. Um, and if it's a procedural, again, I, I, I think that. I, I'm not, first of all, entirely clear on what exactly was going on. If it's a procedural, it didn't express itself very well, because uh, I'm still not entirely sure. It's such an 11th hour, oh, and by the way, here's your villain. Like that yeah. kind of crap, I, I don't think I, – I, I was convinced as we were watching it that one of them was going to be in on it or that we were going to know the killer. But instead, it's just – it's it, it's kind of like here's this grand mystery. Here are these characters. And now if you'll turn your attention over to this corner we haven't shown you before, here's where the killer is. Yeah. We're going to roll him out. 
And I, it really, I, I had no idea what they were going for. And they did a terrible job, too, in terms of laying clues for us with this idea that he had a, a spaghetti face. You know, he didn't have a spaghetti face. No, he didn't. I mean, and he it, barely even had scars. I right. mean, there's, a, there's like one scene where you're like, oh, I can see the scars. Right. And the whole thing with green ears. Oh, he had paint on his ears from paint that on his ears. for 15 that years. Was, and that was a terrible, like key to the mystery moment you know you, you have to have that aha moment that was laughably bad so if this was a procedural it was awful as a procedural and if it was a character study i just feel it was a really muddy character study um you know instead of a character procedural i would call it an actor procedural um because they're really good at doing this they're not very well painted characters and they don't have very good arcs i don't think but the actor's do what they're supposed to do very well. And I love the way they layer in the different parts of those characters' lives. So while it may not be a detective procedural or character procedural, I think it's an actor procedural. And I, I actually, so unlike Dingus, I, I love watching Matthew McConaughey work. Uh, I love. Hey, him how dare Dingus. you? I love him in this. <laughs> I I'm loved him absolutely in, da- in love with him. In I loved him in Dallas Buyers Club. I loved yeah. him in this. I love the kind of the, the more uh, Killer Joe. Like, I love what he's doing with his career these days. And I think he's, he's just hitting him out of the park. He's fascinating in this. Um, and I think a lot of times he's covering for, for weak writing. Um, he's just so yeah. watchable, and he's so committed to whatever he's doing with his character. Uh, Woody Harrelson I was less in love with, but they both had a great chemistry. Um, so as an actor procedural dingus, yeah, I agree with you. And you know who else I really liked in this, who I think has been kind of lightweight in the past? Um, I really liked Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Especially yeah. as the show went on, uh, and, and she got fed up with him. And when she looked all like proper and, and well-kept at the end, I was like, wow, look yeah, at her. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I agree with you on your assessment of the two of them. Um, not Michelle Monaghan, but uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. And, I, and I, I keep thinking about the thing I've liked, things I've liked him in most. I think the thing I, I might have liked him in No Country for Old Men most. And he doesn't have a whole lot to do, but I just liked what he did there. Um, but there, there. One of my notes when I was watching this was I just didn't think he could hold his own in scenes with Matthew McConaughey, and I'm surprised to say that. But I just think Matthew McConaughey is doing such interesting things, and he's just he's so contemplative, and he can he can handle those monologues about flat circles and whatever weird things that he's just going on and on about. And Woody Harrelson's reaction is like, can, can we just treat the car as a shut up zone or whatever he, he has to say? Um, I really. I think Matthew McConaughey is wonderful in this. Um, and I mean, I didn't like him in Dallas Bias Club because I just felt like I was constantly watching him act. In this, I didn't feel that way. I just felt like I was watching him burn. And I really liked him in this. Uh, part of what I would suggest is going on here, Dingus, is the bad writing. It, this is such a Murtaugh and Riggs kind of thing. Like one is the psycho crazy cop, the other is the straight man. Woody yeah. Harrelson is saddled with being the straight man. Right. And as such, you know, Woody Harrelson, when he commits, and I, I think Dingus of that movie Walker, that Paul Schrader movie. Ah, very good. Uh, Woody Harrelson, when he commits, can be the, the, the extravagant character, and he can definitely play that, but he's just in the unfortunate place of being the straight man here, and McConaughey is doing the crazy cop stuff. So his is the flashier role, I, I, I think. Uh, I, I just think that's part of what's going on, and I just think that's partly derivative writing as well. You know, yeah. the straight cop and the the cop who is uh, on the edge. You know, that's uh, that's and and again, I you know, so I'm reminded of, and I think I've said this to you guys before, and both of you guys 
called me on it dis- or disagreed or whatever. I think se- the script of Seven is terrible for some of the same reason, but Seven has two brilliant actors and it has an, incre- an incredible director. Uh, but Seven is that same thing, the cop a few days from retirement and the rookie cop. Um, and the, the serial killer and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I don't think the script in Seven is any good, and I think there's a very similar thing going on here, is it's not a good script, but it's two actors who commit, and it's some really good direction. Yeah. Um, but Seven had a cool twist at the end, and this didn't have a cool twist at the end. Um, I don't know. So, I don't, I don't, first of all, I don't think Seven had that cool twist. I mean, oh, whatever. The killer, are you serious, Kelly? One, the killer kills the young idealistic cop's girlfriend. You think that's a cool twist? No, it's a Barton Fink. No, it's because her head's in a box. Okay. <laughs> so, so if a head is in a box, all right, fair enough. The head in a box is a cool thing. I'll grant you that. On a- on a girl character, like in Crying Game, that's iconic. And if a head in a box is iconic, all right, fair enough. It's just that um, part thing. The thing I did like about this is that there's not somebody who has to be brought along. You know, there's not. Unlike Seven, which I I love, and I don't agree with you that it's a bad script. Um, but I I like that in this that that these two guys are equals in, to a certain extent and not equals in 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 other ways but it's not like one guy is showing another guy the ropes and has to explain things like yeah they're just right. it's, that, the that's say. it's the murtaugh and riggs thing exactly it's not the yeah. rookie it's not the guy fresh out of the academy right it's the guy who's about to retire in the it's not training day right exactly it's not um but it's not subverting shit well okay so here's the but, thing Here, oh, go ahead Dings. no go ahead um one of the things that really captivated me as I, I was watching this, uh, and I know that this probably worked for a lot of people, and I know it fed into a lot of the water cooler talk, and it led to a lot of this show's geek appeal, um, is this movie makes some early references to uh, to things from, from H.P. Lovecraft, um, from Lovecraft mythos, uh, by talking about Carcosa and the King in Yellow. And anybody who reads, and, and those actually both predate Lovecraft, but he references both of them in his work. Uh, so anybody who knows Lovecraft, who hears these things come up, thinks, oh, you know, this is a Lovecraftian mythos. Interesting. You know, is there going to be some crazy supernatural thing? And Kelly Wan, you even mentioned Elder Gods. You know, is that going to figure into this? Um, All the old people sell that. They're like, oh, he's worse than anything. Like, it turns them sane and makes their hearts race. And Turns who? Sane? What do you, I didn't know. Old old black lady oh oh well right and that's the whole thing as well like when they're investigating this there are people who are are hiding terrible secrets and they could be supernatural exactly right right um and and it toys with that but then at the end it pulls back from it and yeah there's nothing supernatural in this it just becomes another silence of the lambs kind of crazy killer thing and he's got a dark past there's this kind of southern gothic element of uh, it's like the southern gothic equivalent of Chinatown, where these community members have been doing this terrible uh, child sacrifice stuff, and one of their offspring is now, I guess, doing murders again. Well, whatever. Um, and the dad on the bed with the stitched together mouth. Yep, very, very seven, very seventy. Um, but so so early on, I, I was thinking, okay, is this going to be a supernatural thing? Are are we watching uh, a modern? Are we watching a modern-day interpretation of, of an H.P. Lovecraft story? Um, and one of the reasons that I thought we were is because when they mention The King in Yellow, when they mention Carcosa, they don't acknowledge that those are things from, from literature. <laughs> they don't say, oh, yeah. these are from Lovecraft. Let's look into that. And so, therefore, I think that that means 
we are now inside of Lovecraft's mythos. Because Kelly Wan, you know, we've talked about in Walking Dead, they don't talk about zombie fiction because they're inside of it. You know, similarly, in the movie The Avengers, everyone doesn't go, oh, that's Iron Man from the comic books because they are inside that reality. (laughs) Right. So, so the, the fact it's not the movie. So the fact that they don't acknowledge that the King in Yellow and Carcosa are actual things from literature totally. I feel like that was a misdirection. Like if they're not going to acknowledge the, the source clue, right? Exactly. And the same in Seven. You know, when when Kevin Spacey's character is talking about the Seven Sins, and I think it's not Homer. Things we talked about this. Uh, oh, Dante's Inferno. It's, like when yeah. all that stuff comes up. Um, they, they talk about it. They acknowledge that they're literary sources. They don't pretend it doesn't exist. So I kind of feel like they really cheated, and, and they cheated to make me think it was going to be supernatural, and it wasn't. And I, I got a little bit irked at that. Yeah, so what is it then? It's just a red herring? A yellow herring? I think there's a lot of red herrings in this, and it's part of Philly. That one's annoying, though. Is it a red herring, just... or is it just a guy who's is trying to up his geek cred? I mean, is it just a guy saying, hey, I know... But it's not, though. A guy meaning thing is the writer or a character? Yeah, no, the, no, I mean the, the writer saying, hey, I'm gonna, you know, throw some meat to my, some sentient meat to my fans. Sentient meat. To, 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 yeah, to sent, meat to people who like this and say, and, and look how clever I am because I know. But it's not because he doesn't put it in the ad and make me and Tom go, oh, look, see, he did, he actually at least read the book. Well, no, he's just saying, I, I, I know this stuff, too. I'm part of the Lovecraft Guild, you know, because I'm not part of the Lovecraft Guild, so I don't know the difference between the King in Yellow and Yellow King, which neither does Matthew McConaughey, by the way. Uh, I don't know what Car- I don't know Carcosa from, uh, Dingus, uh, you know. I don't either. I didn't read it. Uh, Dingus, would, it, while we were watch, while he was watching the show, Dingus made it at one point, because we have this rule not to talk about movies that we've seen until we're on the podcast. And we every now and then can't help ourselves, and we'll make little oblique references. Uh, Dingus said something to me the other day about Yellow Man. <laughs> I was like, no. Dingus, it's not Yellow Man. No, I said Wait, Yellow King, Josh. He did say Yellow Man at one point. Uh, I don't know. He said something about Yellow Man. Uh, I was talking about Yellow Man group from the last <laughs> uh, But they, they do screw it up. It is the king in yellow. The yellow king is is not the reference. It's not a king that is colored yellow. It's a king clad in yellow. Right. Uh, and and that, that's from poetry that predates Lovecraft, but he references right. it. And the idea, by the way – yeah, exactly, Kelly Wand. Uh, and the idea is that – I don't even know that that's a character. The king in yellow is the name of a play. It is not a character, and I don't even think we really? know. In, yeah, I don't even think we know in the mythology if there's a character in the play called the King in Yellow, because the so, idea, the idea is that this play, if you ever see it, it drives you mad. Oh, that's cool. It's great. It's this great. It's this great reference. And Carcosa, by the way, is this doomed ancient city that's been destroyed, um, and it comes from a story where a guy wakes up and stumbles around in a graveyard and then realizes that he's dead, and he's in the ruins of some mystical city named Carcosa. Um, so, Dingus, you ask, is is this... Uh, uh, can you say his name for me one more time, the writer's name of True Detective? It's uh, Car 5. His name is Nick, Nick Pizzolatto. Pizzolatto, okay. I don't know that it's Pizzolatto just throwing out geek bait or not. I like this idea of geek bait. And, and I actually kind of want to defend him a little bit. I feel my, my problem is that he implies, and maybe this is a, this is maybe a little too much, me, me reading too much into it, but I kind of felt like he implied we were in Lovecraft's mythos and that there was going to be something supernatural. Upon it ending, once it ended, 
I kind of I, I want to backpedal a little bit and and give Pizzolatto some credit for maybe not doing a modern telling of Lovecraftian mythos, but doing a modern interpretation of Lovecraft's message. And here's how I think that works. Um, the, the, the point of, of, of H.P. Lovecraft as horror is, uh, and it's a very, it's a, it's very much, uh, it comes from this period of, of modernism. It came after World War One. It came after, you, you know, the rise of secular thought and science and religion being, uh, you know, as atheism, atheism became more popular, uh, in this post-religious period. Uh, the idea behind Lovecraft's mythos is that we are insignificant in the universe. It's a new kind of horror, and it's not based on something supernatural like ghosts and, and stuff like that. It's based on this idea of not mattering in the universe, of the universe being so big and us having nothing to do with it and the universe not caring about us and and being cold and enormous on a vast cosmic scale. Like That's the, the underlying idea behind the stories that H.P. Lovecraft told. Um, and it's the birth of, of, I would say, it's the birth of, of what you would call existential horror. You know, horror about the reality of existentialism. Um, and it, I, I could get all uh, intellectual if you wanted. I could say, like, in, in H.P. Lovecraft, when you realize this, you go insane. And that's the equivalent of an existential dilemma. You know, when Kierkegaard writes about existential dilemmas, he uses this idea of, of a sickness or a disease until you're dead. Uh, and H.P. And Lovecraft's take on it was that it was insanity, whereas Kierkegaard would call it a sickness. Uh, Nietzsche would, would talk about God being dead. Um, and in, in talking about that, it was the death of the old order with religion. Um, and similarly, in Lovecraft's stories, Part of why you go insane when you discover stuff about elder gods is because you realize that Christianity and all the world religions are just myths and they're fake and they're made up. You know, these, these elder gods replace the newer gods and they give lie to the fact that all of our religions are just inventions, these fantasies we made up to reassure ourselves and to feel better about the universe. Um, so all of this stuff is to say that the point of Lovecraft is the kind of existential dilemmas that Matthew McConaughey's character gives voice to. Yeah. Uh, and there are these great moments, which I, I and, and I kind of want to also pull back from criticizing uh, the writer as, as not being good, because a lot of the dialogue is really good, and I do applaud that we can have a character with this cold, bleak existential outlook that McConaughey has talking to a more conventional family guy who gives in to his carnal desires, um, who who has daughters and who has women's issue, issues with women and who considers himself religious somewhat, um, that we can have these two characters talking and one of them speaks in these overblown, almost Lovecraftian phrases about existentialism. Uh, so I kind of feel like there is this sense of Lovecraft, if not the supernatural element, at least the underlying philosophy. And that Rust, uh, Rusty, you know, this, this character as a solitary man who's a little bit crazy, kind of peering into the abyss, having these visions, even if they're drug-induced, is a very Lovecraftian character, even if there's not Lovecraftian supernatural elements. So, so in that Go ahead. So in that regard, I just want to say I kind of want to give him props for it. He goes, no, I was wrong. It's all dream. <sighs> Don't bring that up, Kelly Wand. <sighs> I was enjoying that too, though. You're, those are all really good points that the writer somehow forgot between seven and eight episodes. Well, and that's the thing is, yeah, at the, at, in the finale, he has that, that revelation. Okay. 
And it, it just seemed weird to me that if somebody wanted to tell a latter-day story about Lovecraftian philosophy, which almost has a bleak ending, he is instead redeemed by being aware uh, of his daughter's love? Let me ask you something, because you know how dumb I am about not knowing if characters and things die or not at the end? Mm-hmm. Like, say, Batman or Prometheus. <laughs> Did these guys both die in the pipe? And then that last scene is like where taxi, the end of Taxi Driver may just be a dream. Uh, I don't. I would. I don't think you could make that case, could you? Like, can you make that case for us now, Kelly Wand? I don't. I don't know if I want to. But <laughs> if I well, could, would it be that one of them dies in the hospital? I don't know. Like that would be Woody Harrelson's thing as she comes in with a ring. Well, I never feel mind. like if the, the show. Same. The show has has played with altered reality and altered states of consciousness. If he right. wanted to play with that and make that the finale, I think there would have been some stronger indication yeah, that there's sure. something ambiguous. I don't think that was going on here. No, and and, and they had a real opportunity to do that as well. Because, they chose not to. Because with all that Tom just said, and I really, really like what Tom's driving at, because I I think that uh, Nick Pizzolatto has some really great dialogue, and I think Matthew McConaughey especially sells it Beautifully, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, there's a lot of actors who just there's no way they could handle some of the things that that uh, that Rust, a character named Rust Cole, has to say. I just want to say, because I want you to get to your point. Imagine if the casting had been different. Like, could you imagine how this could have just been sunk by having a less capable actor in McConaughey's role? No, or less savaged looking because he's no. still coming off Dallas Buyers Club, so he has kind of that gleam in his eye, that feverish like. But, like, imagine uh, – I, I don't, you don't even have to get outrageous. Like, you don't even have to get Kellen Lutz outrageous. Like, just someone – Dwayne Johnson? Uh, Dwayne Johnson could pull it off, Kelly Wand. We know what? that. <laughs> Come on. Like, give me – who's someone that would normally be cast in this? Like, if this was on ABC, for instance, who would be cast in, in – in, uh, uh, Wait, on what channel? On ABC. If this was on, like, a major network. <laughs> they were totally playing it safe. Um, John I, I, You know what? Anson Mount. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just thinking of, of Ben Affleck trying to play. Oh God, see, Dingus, exactly. Exactly. Ben Affleck would totally cast himself in that part and yeah. play it all brooding and serious. Yeah. And then no, sorry, I, I, it was. Yeah, I cut you off, Dingus. I just uh, sorry. But anyway, in that in that final in that moment in the in the uh, in the underground dome, wherever they finally wound up in this Carcosa underground weird overground, uh, Silence of the Lambs basement killer place it's a killer lair yeah yeah in the killer lair and he looks up and he sees the cosmos right uh, and he has that vision for a moment um that moment that you're talking about of that existential horror of i i am in, insignificant in the universe and now that is going to make me insane is a really beautiful concept yep. and and to sort of move forward from this idea of well maybe they they've actually died which i think he clearly should have, given what actually happens to him physically in that scene. Yeah. Um, uh, th- there's there's plenty of opportunity to to spool outward from that in a more interesting way than where Merton Riggs walking off and talking about the stars and light and dark. And I'm going to say the final line of the series, and nobody's going to know what it is. I, I, I mean, th- there's there's plenty of opportunity to do something interesting, but they didn't. So right. I think clearly the implication is that that they actually survived this and that this is all reality, uh, which is unfortunate, I think, because it, given that moment where he looks up and sees the cosmos and realizes 
where he is in the world and 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 then the the finale is hi i'm a killer who's hiding behind some sticks i mean maybe 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 the writer had all of these ideas that you're talking about and he was trying to do this modern interpretation that you're talking about and they just wouldn't let him i don't know it seems weird that hbo would go that far and then sort of put out doesn't a character say to mcconaughey at one point Oh, it's you, you're Carcosa or something. Right. Do I miss Well, he calls him a priest and he tells him to unmask. And that's, by the way, a direct reference to uh, stories about King in Yellow. Um, huh. I think the, the idea is that the killer recognizes another uh, existentialist or something. Uh, like, deep. I think that they kind of relate on that level. He's the August Durlast. Exactly right. It's that kind of thing. Um, Carter. Uh, and, and so Dingus, I don't know that I don't know who was that. Like I don't know if it's an HBO thing or if he just didn't want to have a happy. If he just insisted on having a happy ending, but I can't help but think of the difference between. And again, I'll backpedal a little bit on saying that Seven is an awful script. There's some ingenious stuff in Seven, but the ending of True Detective has this idea that uh, you know there's the stars and the dark up there, <laughs> a whole lot of dark. And I think Matthew McConaughey has some line about, yeah, but I think there there's more stars than there used to be. It looks to me like the light is winning. Ugh. That's the finale. And I think of the finale, which is such a powerful line, and it's so concise. And, and Morgan Freeman, just like it, – it's an iconic statement of what Seven is about. <laughs> and the, the I guess it's the final line in Seven is Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is good and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. I mean, holy fuck, that's an amazing line. I, you know, I, I take back everything bad I say about the script of Seven when I think of how amazing that line is and how it encompasses that kind of despair and this idea of, of fighting evil and, um, you know, Morgan Freeman's tired character. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing expression of that. Uh, and, and, and here we have with True Detective, looks like the light is winning. Um, it's just so awful. Did Cormac McCarthy write the last episode, or do a polish of it? Did you say did he or could he? Could he? Uh, it's well, too late. I don't know. How did you feel about the counselor? Loved it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, real quick, uh, I do want to talk about uh, <laughs> one of the um, one of the things that kept I think you guys going. Uh, and I think there was a lot of buzz. People said, oh, you have to at least stick around for the, the end of the fourth episode. The girl in the sixth episode was what I st- was <sighs> The end of the fourth episode. Why is everybody getting so... F- oh, the shootout? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> it's fine. It's a, it's gymnastics. Like it's a it's a technical exercise. Good. Let's choreograph something. There's I nothing mean, wrong with those. I I waited through the fourth episode because one of our friends said uh, there's uh, there's like bravura filmmaking in the fourth episode, and I watched that whole episode, and then I got to the end of it, and I went, oh, that's what he's doing. He's it, that's just choreography. I, I don't I don't know why anybody <laughs> makes a big deal out of Martin Scorsese doing it in Goodfellas. It's just choreography. You can, choreo- you can choreograph it, and then you can if you, if that's what you spend your money on, go ahead. Spend your money on doing a 12-minute long camera shot. Good for you. That's not great. That's just choreography. Wow. Yeah, no, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's, it's, it's all choreography. It's fine. It's beautiful. It's exciting. But it, anybody can do it if they want to put their 
No, uh, yeah, no, I disagree. No, it, it yeah. definitely takes a talented director to do that, and that's why those actors have to. Not why sure. anybody can do it. I mean, Scorsese can do it. Fukunaga has done it. Uh, Joe Wright did some of it in in it's Hannah. Not, I don't think anybody can do it. And it is you're huh? right, it's choreography, but you make it sound like choreography is a bad thing. Yeah, so no, 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 no. I don't mean it's a bad thing. Choreography is amazing. No, uh, it's not a bad thing, and I and I think it is. It's it's very interesting, but it's a. It's a technical exercise. I, I don't understand why there's all this. I, I don't understand why there's all this fuss about long tracking shots. Well, I, I can don't tell you it. because you don't get this in TV, Dickus. This is not a TV. Uh. Na- name one other TV show that's had even on HBO. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Sopranos or whatever, but I can't imagine any TV show, mainly because of the process that TV uses, that can do that kind of spectacle. Um, and I think it's it's fairly unique, even as a movie like that. That I thought was a great. Yeah. Maybe it's because I didn't see it coming. Like I didn't know it was going to happen. No, it hasn't happened before in the show. Yeah, exactly. It's it's unprecedented. Like exactly. you don't have anything like that in those four hours. And here again is what thing is your cynicism where I would agree with you on it. I think it was completely pointless as far yes, as sure. tying into no, no, wait, wait, as far as tying into the narrative. Yeah, it's just hey, and even that whole thing where he's going to go undercover with bikers. Uh. I was like, what? What is going on here? They're looking for a killer, so Matthew McConaughey's going to go undercover with bikers? And what, there's what? no payoff for it whatsoever. Right, exactly. They get the guy out, and I don't... Uh, yeah. yeah. They get the guy out, and, and then he goes to a meeting with the guy, and he's like... Yeah. Right, exactly. It does. Well, it actually does work. They do trick the guy into coming to the meeting, and they follow him. So, But, but still, the point being, you didn't need... The shootout was so... Yeah. But but the shootout was superfluous. But I still think it was it was dazzling, and I loved just the process of it. And I watched that, and I was like, "Oh God, why can't we have that in like Walking Dead, for instance?" You know, I wish Walking Dead could do some scene that big with yeah. such technical dazzle. Um, so, Dingus, I agree with you in the fact that it was pointless and they didn't need it. But the technical choreography, I just marveled at, and I I just loved that scene. Plus, it was revealing about McConaughey's approach to things because it's all about him making decisions now mcconaughey is the true i mean he's the true driving force of that i mean it's he just he carries things from moment to moment to moment in that that's what i love about the only the thing i love about the scene is how he he like carries ginger through the scene basically and he's like i'm through talking yeah right right. i mean that's what i like about it is that it it feels like okay we're gonna do this for tv i'm i'm the person who has to carry it so we're gonna carry it's like watching the star in a in a shakespeare play it's like watching king lear like i'm gonna carry this production i'm gonna just run through it and put this kid in the bathtub i'm gonna take this guy i'm gonna get and i'm gonna grab i'm I'm gonna carry this guy out through that's what i like about it but also what's thrilling about the scene is that it is falling apart like it's not going Going yeah. according to plan, everything right. gets screwed up there, and it's not going. He's trying to stop. He's like, "Don't fire! Don't hold your fire! Hold your yeah. fire!" And then the guy fires, and he's like, "Oh fuck! What do I do now?" I mean, it's it's running yeah. away from him. Uh, and you're right that he's carrying it. It's all about him. It's all about what he's going to do. But it's this huge clusterfuck where everything goes wrong. Plus, he's tweaking on coke. But but yeah, exactly right, right. And he's totally jazzed up. Yeah. Or, or I, mean, I mean, the thing is, you say you say. I mean, I can't name another television show that does this, uh, and I I can't meet that challenge because I don't watch enough TV. But I'm sure we could come up with a number of music videos that do this. I mean, it's it's just a technical <laughs> exercise, and it doesn't serve uh, yeah, this show. And it challenge, and it just pops up in the middle at the end of, and at the end of the fourth episode as a gimmick. It's a gimmick, and that's fine. He, uh, Carrie 
Fukunaga does it just fine, and he does a great job with it, and Matthew McConaughey carries it, but it's a gimmick. And music videos can do this, so I just... Well, music videos, I mean, the fact that music music videos can do anything that any movie can do. Music videos, some music videos are amazing, technically speaking. Right. so I, I don't again. I don't see that that's a bad thing that a music you video don't. has done it. It's not a bad thing. It's just that, like you said, it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of this narrative. If there or is movie. right, right, exactly. Um, but if there is a, an awesome twelve minute neighborhood gone to hell shootout sequence in one shot music video, someone please send it to me because I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was so, hoping that when he had sex with that stripper in the sixth one, it would be that long a shot. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one really just feels and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, feet apart, never free, getting down. First of all, she wasn't a stripper, she was a hooker uh, and a T Mobile employee. That girl's on a show called Banshee about Amish people partying. Like, it was. I do kind of like that. Was that a down payment with such a great line? Uh. (laughs) Because it turns out to be Uh. yes. Well, all right. So uh, eight hours. I I just want to say I told you guys so. No, I still think it was worth seeing, including the shootout. Oh, so maybe I liked the most of the three of us. But you like all TV, Kevin. You're an easy sell at TV. You're constantly yeah. Breaking Bad is awesome. Yeah, yeah, Walking Dead is awesome. No, yeah, that's Lost is Lost. You're always cute. like, yeah, Lost. Did you watch the whole river? Which, <sighs> shut up. The river was only like five, six episodes. It was eight episodes, as long as True Detective, and you watched it all the way to the end, and then you told me what happens at the end. <laughs> and it was one of the few things where it didn't sound good. You go, yeah, the river turns into a circle, and they can't get out. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't a circle. It was <laughs> the a monkeys movie. were cool. <laughs> but yeah, House of Cards, bro. Trust All right. Me. No, I, yeah, sure, 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 Kelly Wand. I trust your taste in TV. Absolutely. There's padding, but it's like padding the way the stripper had it. <laughs> padding, but. Uh, let's do a three by three. Dingus, what do you got for us this week? Uh, I've got Sabotage for you guys because I saw a poster for the movie Sabotage uh, and I thought, Sabotage? Sabotage in movies. Sabotage. <laughs> Say what you see. <laughs> exactly. I saw what I saw. I saw a poster. It had a title on it. Bingo. It's All right. The and then Dingus's next three by three will be uh, your favorite Noah's. Three favorite yeah. gimmicks. <laughs> Shouts. <laughs> your three favorite Mr. Peabody's. Yeah. Oh, God. Did you see that there, there was a poster of Snoopy and Charlie Brown hugging for some upcoming CG Peanuts thing? Hold on. Let me write that down. And I was all, wait... Snoopy calls him the bald kid who feeds me sometimes. What <gasps> <laughs> the fuck's going on? It just... Kelly, why don't you start us off uh, yeah. with your uh, third favorite example of sabotage in a movie. All right, I found this. I think my topics are okay, but I don't know why I picked them. So I may need your help, Tom. You're why you picked good. your topics? Oh, why you picked the movies for the... No, both. Okay. Because you're good at figuring out why things are the way they are. All right. Let me see if I can help you then. You give me the movie and I'll tell you the sound. This will be the, the third one's the easiest one. Okay. It's when uh, Quint busts the radio in Jaws. I was going to pick that one. Ah, why didn't you? Does that count as sabotage? You're certifiable. You're certifiable, Quint. And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got that blue bandana on. And I love that moment. Yeah, yeah. that's a great sabotage. And it totally it kills him. 
I mean, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if Quint would have called in once the Orca was dead, uh, but you know, it, it it definitely limits their options at that point, doesn't it? Although I do like when he said when Mrs. Brody calls earlier. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, isn't that the same one? Got a couple bluegills. Oh no, that's when they first see the shark. And they're gonna Brody's like, "All right, bring in bigger boats, bring in the coast guard," and he bashes it. Right. Yeah. Hey, well, there's that great shot too of Quint advancing into the what do you call that part of a ship? The stern pilot gunnel. room. The gunnel. The pirate. The gunnel. cockpit. I don't know. Quint advancing in there with the the baseball right. bat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has a bat on it, and why does he have the bat? Well, I guess for specifically the for that reason. Yeah. For, the for to to smash the radio if anyone tries to. There should have been like a whole wastebasket full of smashed radios from his other missions <laughs> for the government. <laughs> huh. What's a, what's behind that door? Don't look behind it. Brody's all what? Thing is, do you accept this uh, this choice from Kelly Wand as sabotage? Uh, of course, my third one is the poor man's version of that. A, a radio one? Huh? Okay. Well, this working class hero bullshit. <laughs> Talking about Mr. Hooper, by the way. Uh, I was trying to guess Dingus's. Are we done with mine? I don't really know what else to add to it, except that I... All right, no, that's a good one here. Uh, my number three pick... So I picked Sabotage. I have a whole bunch of them, and there's a bunch of them runners-up. So oh. what I did for, for my particular topic is I just wanted instances of Sabotage that would read most in a movie, that were most spectacular. Um, <laughs> just not some little thing like smashing a radio. You know, you can... Uh, okay, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be big and fantastic, like only a movie could. Like the shark when it sabotages uh, Amity's real estate values. <laughs> like the Death Star when it sabotages Alderaan. Exactly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or the the thing when it sabotages the stormtrooper's head when he bumps into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sabotages the stormtrooper's dignity. Mm, uh, oh. See? Darth Vader. Oh. So my number three pick is actually a terrible movie from 1978 yeah. that I actually saw because I had seen Star Wars. I was like, oh, this is yeah. – Han Solo is in this movie. So I saw a movie called Force 10 from Navarone. Oh, that's the lame one. Guns is a good I know. One. I know. That's, I didn't realize that as a kid, though. It's the sequel to Guns of Navarone, which is some Gregory Peck thing that I've that's been no, no, you should watch that one. But yeah, you should. Be. I, the reason I know about that is because uh, I remember watching the Dick Van Dyke show, and one of the plot lines was that he fell asleep during it. Force Guns of Navarone? He, he fell asleep during Guns of Navarone, and like uh, it has to be like an alibi, and he gets taken to a police station, and the police are like, you fell asleep during Guns of Navarone? I know. <laughs> Dude, they have to climb a mountain? It's fucked. I love it. That and Iger sanction. But see, how can you top – it seems like how could you go backwards to Guns of Navarone after the plot in Force 10 from Navarone? And I want to say, first of all, I normally <laughs> wouldn't tell you what the sabotage is and why it's so spectacular. But the freaking poster for Force 10 from Navarone is a, is a spoiler. It shows you what I'm about to explain to you. Which is the end of the movie. You don't find it. So here's the deal. Well, the title implies the deaths of nine forces. Prior. Force 10 from Navarone. They're in Nazi France, whatever. <laughs> they're somewhere and they have to whatever. blow up a bridge yeah. to stop these Nazis from advancing. So they have to blow up a bridge, but it turns out, nope, you can't blow this bridge up. It's impregnable. Mm. <laughs> and you can't knock it up either. There's no way around that. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> 
There's no way around that. This movie normally you would no well. There's got to be some what? vulnerability. There's got to be like a little. Uh, what's the thing on the Death Star? There's a vent. No, what's that thing that that you can get the proton torpedo in? A wamprat. No, on the Death Star, where do you where do you put the exhaust port? Exhaust Exhaust port. Thank you. So you think okay, there's got to be like some equivalent of an exhaust port on this bridge or something, but it turns out. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me just. I'm just trying to follow your logic. Okay. Yes. You're comparing a bridge. Yes. To the space station, the Death Star, because the ladder floated around in space and flew around and needed an exhaust port because it was burning fuel and you're comparing that to a stationary concrete horizontal bunch of slabs i, I think there's got to nope. be a point of vulnerability a weakness i'm comparing a, a military edifice i'm saying there's always a chink in the armor that you can use you know the boss battle always has like a little glowing orange point. achilles heel achilles heel exactly nothing That's is impregnable i know it starts Star- out it turns out, Kelly Wan, that this bridge in Force 10 from Navarone is indeed impregnable. You cannot oh, blow it up. You can't get close to it. The Nazis are guarding it. There's no way you could blow it up. It just can't be done. So therefore, the movie should be over, right? Wow. So everybody go home. There's no movie. But but what happens here? So this bridge is over a little stream. If you go up this stream, it turns out it, the stream used to be a river, but they dammed it up. So there's a dam up there. So what they're going to do in Force 10 from Navarone, and again, this is on the poster, so I'm not spoiling anything, is they're going to blow up the dam, and the dam, all the water is going to rush down the valley and wash away the bridge. So that's their whole sabotage as well. If the bridge is impregnable, they just blow up a dam upstream, and, and it works. By the way, How do they know it's pregnable to water, though? Uh, engineering. Everything cool. is. Okay. So uh, yes. I watched the sequence on YouTube. Uh, and so, am I correct, <laughs> Kelly Wand? Is Barbara Bach naked in Force 10 from Navarone? Uh, so I recall as a kid. I remember. She was naked in it. You would think she'd be. Well, I, that's she something was... that, uh, that sort of stuck with me. I, anyway, I didn't watch the whole movie. But you can watch the sequence, dubbed in Italian, uh, on YouTube the of the dam getting blown up. And washing away the bridge. Is it intercut with her having sex with Harrison Ford? It looks it looks terrible, by the way, because it's all miniatures. I say it looks terrible. It's kind of cute and endearing now, uh, but it's what we had to put up with for special effects back then in the day. Um, but you know, the dam blows up. It's obviously a miniature, and there's uh, you know pumping water through it. But when you have to show the valley, that's one thing to do a miniature dam and have just water shooting through it. But grass. Have to show the valley, yeah, with like grass and trees and stuff. Mr. Rogers couldn't even do it. Right. It looks like an HO rail set or something. Um, Are there little Legos down there? You you might as well, yeah. Uh, It should have been a volcano and lava if I was going to rewrite it. That, Kelly Wan, would be Force 11. I keep the Barber box. How would they set off the volcano? Would they, like, throw a nuclear bomb in there? Uh, Oh, I know, Dingus. The Enterprise Enterprise can send a a shuttle down in there, and Mm. it'll set off a volcano. Where's the Enterprise going to be when they do that? Underwater. Oh, okay. You got my money. All right. That's the best way they can study it from far away. All right, so Force 10 from Navarone, one of my favorite cinematic... Um, you're so weird for seeing that and not... Hey, you're weird for looking at the poster and going... He didn't see it. He watched the YouTube. Is the Towering Inferno poster also a spoiler? Um, yeah. Title. <laughs> well, see, Force 10 from... Yeah, exactly. Force you know, 10 from Navarone doesn't... The title doesn't have anything about a dam breaking. See, the characters in Earthquake didn't know they were in a movie called Earthquake, or they would have worn fire suits, as I call them. Why would you wear a fire suit in an earthquake? Don't question my theory, because you got to cut the hose in half so you guys can breathe better. 
Did you guys feel the earthquake, by the way, the other uh, – about a week ago? It was like – the earthquakes are always at fucking 6 in the morning. you got to get up too early for them. No, we t- – my son and I totally slept through that. All right. Uh, my, my cat noticed it before I did. What did <laughs> I have think? a theory. Yeah, what did the cat do? Shadow cat, I, was, I was in bed reading. I was reading, uh, and uh, the cat just suddenly sat up, stock still like something. And then, uh, you know, I realized, oh, there's a, a jerking motion going on under my bed. What is that? Uh, it's the earthquake. What if you'd been reading King in Yellow, and there was like an earthquake part? Right. Yeah, there's no book called King in Yellow. King in Yellow is a play, and if I had seen it, I would be a gibbering fool at this point. Oh, so you did see it. <laughs> oh! See, I set you up. Softball. Mm-hmm. All right, Dingus, what is On that your- note, good night. <laughs> Number three favorite instance of sabotage in a movie. Oh, yes. right, here's here's a line from it. Uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Uh, uh, uh. Dingus loves the characters from Seinfeld when they do movies, when they do sabotage in movies. Exactly. So this is, this is the uh, poor man's or idiot man's version of Jaws. Uh, this is Nedry, um, Dennis Nedry. Uh, sabotaging all of the computers in Jurassic Park in order that he can run off with uh, the dinosaur embryos. Which will also let the T-Rex get out of the goat pen place. That's right. It's it's a cascading series of failures mm-hmm. thanks to his sabotage. And, uh, and he's sabotaged the computers, and there you go. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that little sail-headed dinosaur thing. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Dingus, what did he hide the embryos in? Uh, he hi- he hid them in a shaving cream bottle. He hid yeah. them in a shaving cream can. He hid them. Yeah. Was it? Wasn't it a branded can? I seem to recall. Was it Barbasol? Barbasol, I think so. I yeah. think there was product placement in Jurassic yes. Park for shaving cream. <laughs> it was Barbasol. All right. Uh, uh, and as we know, just like in Fargo, because it's a true story, there's probably a bunch of money buried on the side of the road somewhere. There is somewhere a can of Barbasol with dinosaur embryos in it uh, floating around in the Pacific. I collect those shaving cans. And do you remember the name of the guy, the agent, or whatever that he got the Barbasol can from? Oh, I don't. Why? Well, is there a reason I should? Not really. It's just that uh, Nedry, it's just that uh, Wayne Knight says it over and over again at the beginning of the movie because he meets this guy in this little Costa Rican bar outside and, and the guy's like, okay. And, and, and Nedry says, okay, Dodgson. And he's like, don't say my name. And so Nedry goes, Dodgson, we've got Dodgson here, Dodgson. And he's like, nobody cares. Man, Nedry's a jerk. He's totally a jerk. Wait, why'd you pick the, like, is it just the, the screens going off or because it's, it's because it leads to dinosaurs killing a bunch of people. Because it's a great sabotage. He sabotages just to get his money to get off the park. He his sabotage leads to the calamity that sort of makes the movie uh, awesome. a horror movie. Besides, like the storm. Uh, if if it hadn't been for him shutting off the security systems and destroying the entire uh, all of the like electrical fences, then. All of these dinosaurs couldn't have gotten out, and the cars wouldn't have stopped. I mean, all these things wouldn't have happened. It was a calamity. Who vetted that guy? That guy's the real saboteur, huh? Is mm-hmm. it the grandpa? They spared no expense. Did the dinosaurs, were they in HR? <laughs> the velociraptors were in HR, Kelly Wand. That's one of the things that they are smart enough to do. The dinosaurs were the elder gods. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite thing to sabotage in a movie? <laughs> 
I'm torn because the one I had is such a spoiler for a movie I know Dingus hasn't seen. Don't worry. his ears. What, green ears? What'd you say? He can close his ears. He can? I can't even do that. Um, By the way, when they said green ears, I thought it was going to be because he cut lawns and uh, grass, like, was stuck to the side of his head. Mm. My number two is uh, The End of Road Warrior, but I don't want to say more because I don't want to. sabotage. It is, though. Nope. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) Dingus, who's right? Since I don't know what you're talking about, I will abstain. Everything at the end of Road Warrior goes exactly according to plan, Kelly Wand. Mel Gibson didn't think so. Wasn't his Is it ambiguous? It? Nope. No. It's Kelly but... Wand not understanding the plot. <laughs> I accept your bluff <laughs> and your definition of sabotage. No, it was beneficial sabotage. Well, here's the problem for me. Uh, a lot of a lot of this when I was like thinking about sabotage is there's a difference, uh, albeit slight, between sabotage and betrayal. Is this what you're talking about? Eh, it's not even betrayal. It's totally everything goes exactly according to plan. <laughs> there's no but sabotage what if it involved. <laughs> All right, so I just pick something but else. But does the plan use sabotage to? Because nope. you could use yeah. sabotage nope. to execute a plan. Nope, it does uh, not use sabotage. It totally does. Is, is let me ask you this: Dingus is a diversion sabotage? No, I'll answer for you. Wait, Dingus to uh, <laughs> He doesn't know what the hell that means. Diversion? You mean the number one movie this week? Kelly Wand, is it sabotage when Sam Neill leaps out of the SUV and waves around a flashlight to attract the T Rex? Is that sabotage? Yeah, it's sabotaging. The is your name Dingus, Kelly Wand? It is not. No. Dingus, is that sabotage? My name's not Dingus. Uh, no, that is not. <laughs> okay, so neither is the end of Road Warrior. <laughs> That's not what happens at the end of Road Warrior. It's not light. Light's never sabotage. All it's right. sand. Kelly, what are we done with your number two pick yet? I want Dingus to see the movie and can, and confirm my opinion. Sabotage. Shut right. up. I'm right about everything. All right, fine. American <laughs> Graffiti. Police car. All right. Uh, my number two favorite instance of sabotage that is so spectacular that it could only be done right in a movie is from the 1926 movie The General. Uh, and it's where Buster Keaton sets a bridge on fire. That's not sabotage. He's trying to get away from another train. And the train pulls up and sees the bridge is on fire. And someone says, yeah, you can get across there. It's not burning enough. You know, Buster Keaton hasn't really cut you off. Go across over there and, uh, and you'll be fine. And the train goes across the bridge. And it happens to coincide, by the way, with an army fording the river. It's an amazing shot. And uh, spoiler, by the way, this isn't on the poster. Unlike Force 10 from Navarone. The uh, dam doesn't get The bridge up. collapses. This bridge is uh-huh. not impregnable. Uh, and, and furthermore, it has been burning too much to support the weight of a train, and the train goes into the river. Uh, I just love that whole sequence <clears throat> in, in the general. What's the sabotage? The Buster Keaton burning a bridge. He didn't need to, <clears throat> he didn't have time, Kelly Wan, to go upriver and look for a dam to blow up. He just hoped he was right. He just set it on fire. That bridge, uh, the way they it also didn't have Nazis guarding. Hoped it didn't matter what happened to him at the end. Also, mm-hmm. moreover, yes. more to the point, yes. he set fire to it. Has there ever been, by the way, on yes, a 3x3, three three, a movie older than 1926? Do I now have the distinction of picking the oldest movie ever to appear in a 3x3? Three three? Well, you've already picked The General before. 
Right. For everything. So I win twice. No, I think I picked the one where the rocket lands in the moon's eye. Oh, rats. Best, uh, you didn't even have to sit through Hugo. Best, I, love, uh, I love the way you describe five. it as, as a train pulls up. Like, like we're pulling it up. It pulls up. Yeah. In a park real quick. No, it does. It pulls up. There's even horses in front of it. Like, you think, oh, is it going to hit the horses? Nope, it's stopping. I mean, it's the two trains, and it, I think it is the generals, the one that crashes. But no, it pulls up. There's even the guy, like, leaning out the window going, hey, can I get across the bridge? Wait, the general's the one that crashes? Isn't it? Because they the general's Buster Keaton's one. No, well, they, it's, so the whole pattern of the general, which, by the way, brilliant movie, one of the greatest chases of all time, is that he is being – he is – chasing the train because his girlfriend's on it and then he rescues her and then the the train is chasing him like it's this great back and forth um so i think it's after he is trying to get away from it and they've got the train and they're uh chasing him boy meets girl train chases boy woman inherits the earth is that the tagline for the general (laughs) well done gilly uh i was doing a callback but how does he set the fire again with fire with, he has a fire on board, and then he just shovels it out. Well, he's not on a train at this point. Uh, he's he's he, is, he has detrained, or, or as they call it, deboarded. How does he trick the dumbasses into going, yeah, it's not burning too much, keep going? He doesn't like, think he's going to. Like, he's trying to burn the bridge down, and it doesn't burn enough. Uh, he had hoped, I presume, that there would be more time for it to burn. Uh, so he thinks at this point, oh, I might be screwed. But because someone else tells him that, though. Yeah, so the army, I forget if it's the Confederate Army or the Union Army. I forget who the bad guys are in the movie. I'm pretty sure it's the the rebels. The little rascals fought the Union, too. But the the rebel commander uh, tells – sounds like something from Star Wars. Uh, Tells the train pilot, tells the train pilot, no, it's not burning enough. Go on across. Just like in Star Wars. Exhaust port. See? Diggis, what is your number two favorite instance of sabotage in a uh, film or motion picture? In the general. <laughs> right? uh, you don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. Uh, I thought of this one, but is the sabotage putting the facehuggers in the room and locking the door? Yes, it's it's knocking over the facehuggers when they're asleep because it's a rescue mission and he's sabotaged all of that. Why are the facehuggers asleep? Because they're tired, they've been they've been working hard been all faces of these. All day, yeah. They've been hugging, <laughs> been hugging faces all day. It's exhausting. Like an exhaust port gets exhausted. Exactly right. The exhaust ports are just plum drained. So I, I think <laughs> that Burke I think Burke is entirely a saboteur. Um, even I, I, again, I think this comes dangerously close to just being a subject about betrayal. Um, but I think that Burke is a saboteur. Uh, because what they're supposed to be doing, uh, ostensibly, what they think they're doing, is is going on a rescue mission or at least going out to this colony to find out what's gone wrong. And what's actually happening is that um, they're going to be used as incubators to bring back a weapon. And so he's basically sabotaged exactly why they think they've gone and why Ridley has gone out there at all. And he's using her. In in betray, I mean it's betrayal and sabotage at the same thing. At the same time. Well, it's a way better pick than Road Warrior, whatever the case. My name Tom. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> Will you tell Kelly talk about Grandpa? Uh, oh, not again. <laughs> What'd she say? I forget her answer. 
I'm going to make flowers on Tom. Just tell us where your phone is. By the way, did they ever find a phone? No. Uh, They do. They call the cops, yeah. Yeah. No, they don't. I it wasn't no, of course they find a phone. Everybody's got a phone, Kelly. Yeah. Well. <laughs> what? But they're all serial killers. Kelly Wand, what is your number one uh, favorite instance of sabotage in a film or motion picture? Yeah, or, really or, just... or it could just be a diversion, considering what you're doing with your list so far. Hmm, interesting. You liked my third one. You've changed. Power <laughs> well, has changed you. This will be the tiebreaker. Does Kelly Wand's, does Kelly Wand's list suck or does it rock? Let's find out. Um, the theme of my list, I realize upon perusing them, the entries I mean by them, is uh, it's good guys sabotaging themselves. Tom, you there? Yes, I'm, I'm waiting to find out whether your list is awesome or terrible. <laughs> okay, uh, remember that movie Used Cars with Kurt Russell? Did you see of that? Of course he does. Uh, the Robert had... uh, Zemeckis movie. Yeah. Jack Warden plays twins in it. Isn't there a naked girl in it? That yeah, that's for a different part. But at the end, it all hinges on a bet on the Super Bowl. And then Kurt Russell's superstitious friend tries to... He tries to lose on purpose because he bet heavily on the wrong team or something. So he keeps trying to lose in this diner by like giving himself really bad luck while the game's on in the background on TV. So he's like tossing salt shakers and breaking mirrors. Like. Let's see. Kelly Wan's list is terrible. Right what? Here. Terrible. He's sabotaging his win at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Dingus. That, that one counts, right? Uh, yeah. Sab- like, I like How where Dingus sabotage? was going. The the better sabotaging used cars is sabotaging the commercial with the girl's dress and the hood of the car. Yeah, but that's not sabotage. They're just advertising. Well, neither is your number two pick, by the way. That's not sabotage either. Wait, so uh, number one is I suck, according to you. Uh, this this list, Kelly Wan, is one-third better than most of your lists. Dingus, <laughs> I'm never doing this again. <laughs> tell Tom. I'm not talking. I don't believe you. All right. Tom, tell my Dingus number one. Tell you yes. oh, that I'm, never, I'm never having Dingus speak to you again through me. Tell uh, so, Dingus, I think listening. I'm tell you to tell me that Kelly Wand is never doing a 3x3 three three again. Um, right now, I'm whispering into Kelly Wand's ear. I'm not doing any more of Tom's. <laughs> this wasn't mine. This was Dingus's. I know. Okay. My. You're going to miss out on some awesome ones. No rational. Hell hath no fury, Tom. Oh, Kelly I Wand, just... when, when I do my favorite Willie Ames movies, you're really going to be missing out. <laughs> Who, the baseball player? My number – wait, is that the kid from 8 is Enough? <sighs> Willie Ames. Wait, what's wait. the kid's name from Zapped? Did I screw up the name? No, it's Willie man. Ames, but Kelly wants to a Willie Mays joke. Willie Mays – oh, okay. That's, when you throw sports in there, it really confused me. Like I have no idea what's going on. I don't know a lot about a lot of stuff, but I especially don't know a lot about sports. Or Road Warrior. Not Sabotage at the end of Road Warrior. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> Look – I don't yes. think you know what, what sabotage means. About. Correct. Kelly Wan, does the Earth have a single circumference? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's whatever it is right now. My number one favorite instance of sabotage, and again, this is for the spectacle of it, and in this instance, the narrative role of it, uh, is the finale of Fight Club. Uh, with uh, and, and it's by the way, it's weird. I had to look this up. 
was Fight Club before two thousand before nine eleven? Yeah, yeah, right. it was because I think yeah. it would have been such a weird, different experience if you had seen that scene for the first time after nine eleven. Um, well, uh, it's in ninety nine. It is ninety nine. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but I had to look that up. I didn't remember. I'm terrible with dates. I'm terrible with dates and sports and math. And, and uh, no, I'm great at math. Uh, I'm good at math. I'm good at geometry. You're bad at writing. <laughs> bad at writing. I suck at video games. You're He's a faggot. I'm told. Zizebone has. Zizebone. <laughs> that has been asserted on the internet. That is true. He's good right. at diagnosing. I don't think he would be making it up. Obviously, these charges came from somewhere. Uh, but that's my favorite uh, sabotage just for the visual of it, for that awesome line about you met me at a very strange time in my life. The buildings? Uh, for, ha- for having the Pixies playing. Uh, and uh, just, yeah, it, it's a bunch of buildings collapsing because they have detonated them. And it's furthermore, the implications of this, uh, two things, by the way, there's nobody in the buildings. Actually, three things. That we know of. Nope. No. The, according to the fiction of the movie, and this is very clear, nobody is dying at this moment. So mm. that's one thing. Another thing, and I've heard people say, I wish I could remember who because I would love to out them right now and ridicule them, that they think that uh, Edward Norton and um, that guy, Helena Bonham Carter's building is also going to collapse. That's me. You oh, can out me is- right now. <laughs> Wait, that's what? See it. That's one of the things I love about the movie. Is it you? Th- you thought at one point that their building was going to collapse too? That they were going to die? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's ridiculous. You came to me at a strange time in my life that's now ending. Yeah, they were. They right. were now about to die together. That's the end of the movie. Uh, but I, the third, that's what I loved about the movie when I first saw it was that they're, no one, that they're dying. Right, that, which doesn't happen. The third thing, by the way, that I want to make clear strong, but, um, is that this is the end of the world according to the fiction of Fight Club. All of the financial records are being destroyed and Tyler Durden's apocalypse where everybody – there's this great line about uh, uh, frying meat on the freeway and wrist-thick vines of kudzu, kudzu, however you say that word, um, hanging from skyscrapers. I forget the line. But at any rate, Tyler Durden's post-apocalyptic uh, reality is about to come true. Like the world, not only is his relationship with Marla about to change, but the world is about to, as we know it, is about to end. And we're going to be plunged into this anarchic uh, Tyler Durden vision of the world. Uh, Like Escape from L.A. We're all shooting golf clubs from our industry and area rooftops, right? Don't understand that reference, I'm afraid. (laughs) Can't help you there. Although you'd think they'd be against golf, huh? One of the things that – I forget who it is – and I'm supposed to think that it's Brad Pitt because he's such a doofus on the director's commentary for Fight Club. Uh, but there, there's he's not. Uh, he's that was an Ed Norton commentary. Ed, Ed Norton is a doofus. Mm. Okay, but I think Brad Pitt is Edward Norton. Brad Pitt is messing around with Ed Norton, and Edward Norton is like, "I'm talking to the cool kids. Hey, we like the new Beetle, right? Yeah, we like that." Uh, someone at some point refers to Fight Club as being very Doctor Strange love. What? Which, uh, uh, well, I do think the finale is very Doctor Strange love. Uh, mm-hmm. In that you are seeing the end of the world. In that it is the end of the world, exactly. Yeah. But they're not all going to die. The, our, our beloved characters, as opposed to yes. Doctor Strange love, where I think everybody dies. No, no, nobody dies. So the, the characters we see in Doctor Strange love are not going to die. They're they're going to be in a mine shaft. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's pronounced mine shaft. Uh, Slim Pickens, I will grant you. I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah, he makes it and they don't. 
against all logic. Uh, so uh, Kelly Wand know. is is the end of Fight Club. Does that count as? Oh no, not Kelly Wand. You're not the adjudicator here. Dingus, does that count as sabotage? Yeah, for, for no other reason than it's a sabotage of the entire financial structure. Thank you. I mean, I mean, for, forget about the the physical bombing sabotage. I love the idea of him bringing about the financial collapse. Yep. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what the the movie sort of plays resonating outward toward us in a post margin call world that the financial system is all collapsed. And that's what the sabotage is really about. And I think so. you can't nip, you can't parse fight club this way, but I do know that some people will say that's unrealistic because there's going to be backup records of all the financial records somewhere, which is true. But the, but so, I mean, that's not part of the world of Fight Club. No, and I think in 2001, what we found out was if you shut down Wall Street for a couple of weeks and shut down airports for a couple of days, it's going to affect the world in a huge way, regardless of what other redundancies. But not have. the financial sector. They just make well, yes, Kelly want? military industrial. Well, they've got their own ways to protect themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, the financial system was the real sabotage. So really, I guess what I'm getting at is that Road Warrior, not sabotage. Fight Club, sabotage. <laughs> Dingus, what's your number one instance of sabotage in a motion picture? The fact that Dingus hasn't seen it makes quite a hamper on this debate. I would say that all those buildings being dropped are really more of a diversion. <laughs> um, I would love to tell you what they're diverting attention away from, but that would be a spoiler. Batman's, uh, Batman's death over the ocean. <laughs> so, he, so he can quickly... Wait, get they the sabotage the autopilot. Just to get to Italy real quick for dinner yeah. with Michael Caine. His ghost, Michael Caine's ghost, he's dead too, I forgot to mention. <laughs> Who's on the doctor? I got all worked all right. out. I got uh, here's, here's a quote from my number one. Uh, Captain, we're cavitating. He can hear us. We're wedding. Capitating? Or cavitating. Or cavitating. It's a Hunt for Red October reference, but I don't, I'm trying to think, what's the sabotage? This is Seaman Jones. I'm not uh, sure it's pronounced like that. It is. Jones? Jones. Uh, uh capitating? Cavitating. Cavit- um, cavitating is the sound that the propellers make as they force bubbles through. And so the Red October has this special drive called the Caterpillar Drive that um, that the, that propels the submarine by allowing water through the front of the submarine and letting it flow through the back of the submarine so that the propellers aren't moving. It's not a propeller drive. It's this Caterpillar Drive that works by letting water through the ship, basically. Um, so it doesn't... It's It's, for all intents and purposes, silent. And so once... Uh, it becomes clear to um, Loganov, who's the ship's cook, but also a uh, not KGB, but G- GNU. I'm not sure what the what the letters are. Uh, a, a, a political officer, or a, like a CIA officer, who's been um, put on the ship uh, in disguise as a cook. Once he realizes what's going on with the ship, he sabotages the Red October's silent drive, and then the the main engineer of the Red October brings this piece of equipment and says uh, that that they've been sabotaged and that they're not going to be able to run silent anymore and so that their plan is not going to work. So they have to kind of do something else. So they come up with a fake sabotage, uh, which is that 
the nuclear reactor has been sabotaged so that they can get everybody off the ship, and this actually works to their favor. But it's the sabotage of the Caterpillar Drive on the hunt for October. Kelly Wan, does that uh, count as sabotage? Uh, I don't see movies with colors in the title. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess we won't be doing blue as the warmest color next week. That's uh, by the way, I just realized something, um, and I I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but uh, they actually accuse, uh, I think it might be Ripley, who accuses uh, Burke in Aliens of um, of future sabotage. Because she, I think, she, I think, is it her who says it, that, that, he, that he's going to sabotage the cryopods? That, that the only way that his plan would have worked was that it was cryopods or cryotubes that, that he would have had to sabotage them. And I think she actually uses that word, and I just didn't think of it until now. Well, cryotubes? you know who actually does that? Hal. A gentleman named Hal. Yep. Uh, a gentleman named Hal. Gentleman. Oh, look at us. Well, a digital gentleman, if you will. Uh, a Hal digimon. a lot of sabotage, huh? <laughs> a digimon. What? Yeah. Okay. All right. Whose turn? All right, Dingus, take it away. What's our uh, listener sabotages? All right, we have uh, we have only a couple of listener sabotages. This is Why? Not, uh, this is not a, a subject that caught people's attention. Um, Arthur Giovanangeli. Gosh darn it. Arthur Giovanangeli. Yeah, there you go. Uh, sorry about last week. This time I will cut to the meat. Why, why is he sorry about last week? I don't know. They're very. Don't be sorry about last week, Arthur. You're you're doing fine. We just appreciate you uh, contributing. Thank you. Uh, give us as much meat as you want. Uh, number three, Memento. Guy Pierce sabotages his own process for keeping track of the people he meets with the phrase "Don't believe his lies." It's one of the great all-time tattoos as well. Yes. Uh, number two, the lives of others. Uh, Ulrich Mure deliberately sabotages his own investigation. The sabotage becomes mm. more, more brazen as the movie progresses and Ulrich's character becomes more attached to the couple he's spying on. My own personal favorite instance is the removal of the typewriter. From the director of The Tourist. Ah, yes. I love The Lives of Others. That's a good one. Uh, number one, and Tom, you're going to love this one, Inception. What? Two Nolans on the same list. What the oh, fuck? Look, he says, Q Tom groaning. <laughs> I didn't groan. I went, what? Q Tom. <laughs> uh, Ken Watanabe's desire to commit corporate sabotage leads him to hire Leonardo DiCaprio to, to perform Inception on Killian Murphy. The completion of the sabotage is a great payoff. Yeah, but we don't know if anything in Inception ever actually happened because we don't know if the little top falls over or not, right? Ah, so they sabotaged you. Mm, in I don't Russia, think that counts as sabotage. <laughs> uh, Runner-up, the Prestige. What knot did you tie? Uh, Angier sabotages Borden's bullet catch routine. Used this last week, so it had to be a runner-up. But this is a great instance of sabotage with grisly consequences. Um, thanks, guys. Apologies for all the Nolan. P.S. See Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> grisly consequences. My favorite Dan Haggerty movie. <laughs> All right, so Paul Weimer, uh, I went with a high-tech theme for my picks this time out. Three, Dennis Nedry, uh, Wayne Newman, 
It's Wayne Knight, I believe. Really? That one's a popular one. I'm uh, he played a character named Newman, so. Yeah, Wayne Newman. He just looks sabotory. <laughs> he looks sabotory. Disables systems and control of the computers in Jurassic Park as part of his dinosaur DNA theft scheme. You didn't say the magic word. Hey, that's the quote. You'd have to do the uh-uh-uh, Paul. Come on. Uh, number two. Breaking computers shouldn't count as sabotage. Yes, computers. It's just vandalism. <laughs> I see that Kelly Wan not clear on the word sabotage. Oh, I hate this hacker shit. <laughs> so, uh, Kelly Wan, is it is it sabotage if someone spray paints a gang sign on a wall? Only if it's a, only if he's p- p- uh, painting it on sand. There has to be sand involved. All right. I don't even know what this is, Paul. Number two, in Colossus, <laughs> in Colossus colon the Forbin Project. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh wait, famous. Uh, what is that? It sounds really familiar. It's some '70s sci-fi thing, sure. I believe. Hey. It might have even been lampooned on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, I want to watch it right now. Is it a giant computer? Right. It's called Colossus. God, it sounds good. Let's see. Yeah. What does Paul say that's about it? Maybe we yeah. can parse from his choice what the movie is. I got excited when I heard those words. Um, oh, actually, this is this is really good. This makes me think of uh, one we should have chosen. Actually, uh, Doctor Forbin and his Russian counterparts come up with the idea of sabotaging the nuclear missiles under Colossus and Guardians' control as a way of getting out of the two intelligent defense computers' power. Hmm. Okay, hey, war games. Well, war computer it does count as sabotage, but not financial industry computers. Because that's just money. That's not sabotage. Some people's lives, like a bridge. Isn't that basically what goes on in Dr. Strangelove? What? Money getting destroyed? No, it's people getting irradiated. That counts. Sabotage. I don't know that that General Batguan, or what's his name, Ripper, uh, he's basically abusing power. I don't know that sabotage. Sabotage, I think of as destroying or breaking something to, to... like weaken an infrastructure, or like a truck with sand in it. Um, but I don't think the General Ripper, like he's just flat out just ending the world, don't you think? I don't know. I mean, it's he's sabotaging the human race by killing it. No, I'm talking about sabotage. how he's uh, how he's disabled all the communication at the base. Oh, I see. Well, he he doesn't. He just confiscated radios. You know what? Semantics topics are always. Well, for for whatever reason, Paul thought that, although we haven't gotten to his number one pick, that Colossus, the Forbin Project, was a better choice than Doctor Strangelove. I'm pretty sure Paul has seen Doctor Strangelove. So I like that, he even, that I even got to hear the words Colossus, the Forbin Project. So you don't Paul hear that very often. Yeah, I didn't think I'd hear it tonight. See, you got, and he, look how far anyone for that poll. Right, I can't wait to hear his number one. Yeah. I hope his it's number deep. one is in Real Genius. Oh, it's not. I noticed that his number one pick is not Road Warrior. Nor it's is another it. computer one. Oh boy. <laughs> well, he said he, he claims at the beginning he's going to do a high tech theme. Oh. So in real genius, the college students sabotage the crossbow project, causing. <laughs> this is really great. <laughs> causing the orbital laser to fire off target and ignite the world's largest bowl of popcorn <laughs> and wreck their crooked professor's house in the process. As regards Paul. <laughs> That's sabotage. That? <laughs> it fills his house with popcorn because of the laser. Wait, you're laughing just from the memory of that? <laughs> yeah, don't you remember the popcorn? 
I never. Yeah, I guess. Real genius is brilliant, Paul. That's a- yeah, but that always seemed kind of fun. Like even if he didn't like the smell, that'd just be cool to watch a house I- popcorn on it. Yeah. Therefore, it's not <laughs> because it's visually and aromatically appealing to me in theory. Well, well, he ruins the crossbow project so that you know that. Well, yeah, but then he ignites the, the popcorn project, so it becomes like the new f- fad worldwide. So like, movie theaters all over the world. Instead of wrecking balls, they make to put popcorn in them. Tom, 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 if you I haven't seen Real Genius, Genius. I, I should. What? I just I know that uh, Bill Hudson plays or Bill uh, Bill Paxton plays someone named Chet. Oh. That's all I know about. Real wow, Genius. dingus! Isn't that? <laughs> Weird. That that's was, the first thing I heard since he Road Warrior. Is Tom hasn't seen Real Genius? That's interesting. And he gets turned into like a big pile of poo. I think. You didn't like the poster where Phil Kilmer's wearing like uh, crazy antennae. My favorite thing about Real Genius is I do think that uh, Kelly LeBrock is kind of hot. So I like the idea of them creating her. <sighs> this is a fucking lame travesty. <laughs> What's your favorite quote from Real Genius? Favorite quote from Real Genius is probably the bit where Peter Cushing is reading that that saucy magazine. <laughs> what do you little maniacs want to do first? Doesn't Kelly LeBrock say that to him? Oh, that's so hot. But those are first. She was really good, by the way, in Piranha 3D. And they don't have sex with her. Oh, uh, dude. They're both British. British Kellys. The best kind. Since you asked, my favorite is can you hammer a six-inch spike through a board with your penis? See what you're missing, Deborah Foreman. And then the the reply, of course, is not right now. (laughs) Then she says a girl's got to have her standards, but then she bangs (laughs) William Atherton, so he wins. Exactly. A girl's got to have her standards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of that, Tom? Absolutely not. Compare it to that. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Sex talk. Awesome. All right, so our final one is Dave Perkins. Uh, Dave Perkins, Michelle said that we should be submitting two because there are two of us. I have no idea what she's talking about, but whatever, fine. Uh, number two, line. This is glue. Strong stuff. In Blues Brothers, Elwood sprays glue on the gas pedal of the motorhome owned by the good old boys who are hunting them down later, Lake. Very good. And number one, line. The pen is mightier than the sword. In Last Crusade, Indiana Jones riding oh, a horse stuffs a rock into the machine gun turret of a tank and then gets the gunner to fire at him. Later, boom, Dave and Michelle. <laughs> what? That's it. That's what we got. You guys have any runners-up? Uh, so, uh, 2001, of course, the, the stuff mm. that Hal does, which also involves the other astronaut getting all Sandra Bullocked out into space. Um, the... Uh, I wanted to bring this up, but I want to see the movie again first because I know that I have a strongly held opinion about some the significance of it, but forget what it is because I need to see the movie again. But the end of Bridge Over the River Kwai, I need to figure. I need to remember what my opinion uh, is about yeah, that. Yeah, well, that, well, this is a long-held debate, isn't it? Right, but I need to see the movie again. Uh, so right. I'm not gonna. I, I didn't bring a that bridge one. in the first act has to be blown up in the third act. Were you hoping to do a bridge theme? Maybe. Yes. All right. What about Madison County? Is that um, the uh, the? <laughs> I can name two movies. Does he sabotage their marriage? <laughs> yes, Tom. Two. Uh, there are two movies in which snow cats are sabotaged. 
Okay, first strikes back. And uh, no snow cats. Those are tauntauns. The eight below. Uh, no, eight below. I don't think any get sabotaged. Dinosaur. Uh, the snow cats. Die hard two. That Seriously, you guys, come on. Snow cats. Yeah. Uh, die hard two. Oh, uh, uh, the uh, Overlook Hotel movie. Yep. I and said in one other movie in which a snow cat gets sabotaged. Sheena. The thing. Hmm. Uh, Radio also gets sabotaged in in uh, in uh, um, the Shining. Doesn't doesn't Jack Nicholson like take the pieces out of the radio so Shelley Duvall can't call yeah, the no. Rangers? He uh, doesn't have a although he does have an axe. So he could do a quint, but he chooses to. Be she's a, the one who has the baseball bat, by the way, in the Shining. A, she brought a bat to an axe fight. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers. Yeah. I like Loki uh-huh. sabotaging the Avengers. Where and it, and not having Jeremy Renner shoot arrows at it, but having uh, the Hulk change and sabotaging the helicarrier. Uh, that's good. Aha! See, see, Kelly. Yeah. Not as good as sand, but. Um, I always liked, and I mentioned this on another three by three. Not uh, Burt Lancaster, the other one. Uh, Richard oh, Richard Burton. Uh, Richard <laughs> Burton <laughs> running around holding Bart the uh, running around holding the distributor cap from the bus in Night of the Iguana. Because he doesn't want the people to That's leave a on the bus. Uh, I know. Well, it's a Tennessee Williams play that became a movie, so I feel like it's a bit of an exception. Um, but I love him, Richard Burton, just holding that distributor cap. Um, that's a bit of sabotage. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, I like the Dumb and Dumber laxative that Jim Carrey gives Jeff Daniels to sabotage his date with the chick that winds up making out with Terry Gar. But marrying Jim Carrey and RL, and also the last act of Animal House. Thank you. Uh, have you guys seen The American, the George Clooney thing? No. Yes, of course. I love that movie. It's a great act of sabotage slash gun smithery. Yeah. Where he At makes the a, end? Where he makes a gun, yeah. Uh, Should I watch that? I thought you said don't see it. Um, I wasn't that crazy about it. It had some cool stuff in it. It takes a long time to get where it's going, but it's got a couple of scenes that you're just like, whoa. Yeah, and a great act of sabotage. Yeah. Uh, my um, one of my favorite failed acts of sabotage is when uh, Roy Scheider puts this uh, this little mechanism that's supposed to cut the cables to um, Hal's power source in 2010, um, and uh, Bob Balaban finds it, and they all think it's very tense that that Roy Scheider's going to like activate this little bomb to cut the cables with a calculator he has in his hand. And that's this whole thing. Will Dr. Chandra be able to talk Hal into firing off the boosters in time? And he does. And, oh, phew, uh, Roy Scheider doesn't have to blow up this bomb. And then Bob and Dr. Chandra gets back to the, to the ship and he hands off the thing. and goes, here, I thought you, did you really think I wasn't going to find this? So here's the difference between me and That's me. a good one. When Dingus uh, says, when Roy Scheider, when he opens with that, now I know we've already talked about Jaws, so I know he's not going to bring up Jaws. So I immediately think, you know, Dingus, of course, being Dingus is going to go to 2010. I immediately think, oh, and Kelly Wan, this difference between Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan thinks he's going to go to Marathon Man. I think he's going to go to Blue Thunder. (laughs) No one's ever gone to Blue Thunder for anything. Please. Just uh, Jaffo. Right there. Iconic acronyms. Uh, it's Jaffo. Just another forward operator. Mm. That's I Daniel remember Stern's character. He's a Jaffo. 
Uh, actually, it's J-A-F-F-O, just another effing forward operator. Isn't Malcolm McDowell's catchphrase, catch you later? And then That's an awesome catchphrase, isn't it? Thank you, John Badham. Then he puts I've never seen tracks. You've never awesome. seen Blue Thunder, Dingus? I don't think you need to. Dude, no, I've never seen it. Oh. But my friend, my movie-relaying friend that I had in, uh, in middle school, Brad, uh, told me about it because there's a, there's a, you get to see a girl's naked breasts in it. That's one of the things that Blue Thunder has technology to do, is to yeah. see that stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. like Superman having x-ray vision, but a helicopter. Don't right. We have telescopes, though, so what's the fucking... Blue Thunder's not that We great. can't find an airplane. How are we going to find breasts? Oh, dingus. Is it too soon? Doesn't Roy Scheider at the end of Blue Thunder do a loop-de-loop, and that's how he tricks Malcolm McDowell into yep. getting shot? In yep. exactly. Because helicopters can do that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Nicolas Cage does that in Firebirds. <laughs> has, that, has that phrase ever been said? <laughs> Not on this podcast. At the end of the center, he puts the helicopter on train tracks, and then a train blows it up, and then right. the shot of him walking away, and I remember the audience applauded, and I thought, wait, you're applauding that you didn't see him get off the helicopter. <laughs> what? Fucking idiots. No, he's destroying the technology because it was used for bad, Kelly Wand. I thought they were just applauding that he, he didn't kill himself and he knew to get off the he didn't they to get applauded out of the his noble deed of refusing to let powerful technology fall into the hands of of evil men what if they blow up what if he blew up the train too would the applause have still been the train was fine train not sabotage fine. not sabotage <laughs> road war Where am i good oh. lord sand <laughs> other runners up uh, every movie has sabotage in it, I think, I would say. So it really is your three favorites. What is the sabotage in My Dinner with Andre? Um, Plot. That they go Dutch. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Kelly Wand, I believe it is your pick for next week's three. Oh, boy. Three. What do you have for us? <laughs> I'm very excited. What was my last terrible one? Oceans? Probably. This one is not terrible. Okay, remember, Tom, we were arguing about messages in movies, and I think they're always dumb. Okay. And you think they're always great. Well, I I'm think sure. the argument was that you thought children's movies shouldn't have a message or something like that. Well, I was just saying, when I was a kid and they were spelled oh, out. Oh, right, right. You thought children's movies when you were a kid did not have messages, and I disagreed with you. Yeah. Well, the ones that didn't, I seem to like more. Like Aladdin doesn't have a message. I'm sure it does. I should see it, and then I'll yeah, talk, just it. a bunch of crazy shit happening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jaws has a message either, as a kid's movie. <laughs> but so I Jaws is rated PG, so there is a case to be made. Yeah, it's vetted PG rating, didn't it? <laughs> um. Yeah. So this topic is three. Real quick, before you say your topic, yeah. Um, one of the first Disney movie that was rated PG and I, I really want to see this again and I don't think it's on Netflix um, yeah is Black Hole any good does the Black Hole hold up really violent oh, yeah because Max Mealy and Shell died recently and so I thought oh I should go back because he's in it I should go back and see Black Hole is Black Hole just awful is it good and I remember, and I remember this stuff too with that robot with it's any good. I remember going to see it in the theater and not thinking it was good yeah, I didn't like it, but I thought it was really gory. Maybe it, it was just too far ahead of us. Like, it was ahead of its time. Uh, we weren't old enough to appreciate it. No, because there's, like, a floating robot with an Old West accent. Like, that's not ahead of its time yeah. for us. Yeah. Like, is a robot doing that? Not the evil robot. It's Plus, the, the ending. Also, it was one of those ending, it, the ending made no sense, so I, like, bought the book just to read the Aladdin Foster. So, movie. like, 2001, you're saying? No, 2001 makes perfect sense. 
you just didn't understand it. But black hole is, I think they all become angels, like in Lost. What? Ew. Black hole is go to heaven or something. (laughs) And the robot, too, also becomes an angel, I think. There's also like that giant lava ball, and they have to get across the bridge before it kills them. So they run. That's how they trick it. I still want to see it. Do you remember seeing it? Tom? Um, vaguely. I mean, I know I've seen it, but I just I remember don't... The robot's name's Maximilian. Which right, is the little... evil robot with the blade. Yeah, it's the same name as the actor. But I remember having a model of, I think, the evil robot, and there's a good robot, too, right? And they float. Don't they float? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it had to be mounted on, like, a piece of wire that would make it look like it was, like, bobbing, like a bobblehead kind of thing. Yeah, and the other one floats, too. And But he has propellers that come out of his nipples and, like... They shred your uh, right. No, they're blades. That's what I mean. They're like spinning. It's like bl- it's like the thing in the bottom of a blender, but without the blender around it. Yeah, and a guy takes a cue from the Brad Pitt World War Z playbook and holds up a briefcase in front of himself, and then Ooh. the repellers just go through just that. Through the briefcase, it gets him. Awesome. Right. His, his his play fails. And that's why it's rated PG. Yeah, because the briefcase failure is PG. So the briefcase basically was sabotaged by the blades. Yeah, although you'd think just watching people go into a black hole would probably be PG-rated, like what would probably really happen to them. All right. Well, I'm sorry, I cut off your 3x3 three three announcement just because I thought of that. I like when we talk about science. It's <laughs> uh, my number three topic for the next week is best messages in movies, like ones you can get behind. So it's like ones where you went, oh, I see the message. It's not the one I thought it was. Like, say, with Andre, you go, oh, budget ahead for the dessert. Like, that's the message I got out of that. So best as in the movie presented it? Like, give us an example. What made you think of this? Mm, I could give a good example, but it's one I really wanted to use. Take it off the table, because that's that's what a real man does, Kelly Wand, is he takes the best pick, and he uses it to make his case for why this is a good three-by-three. All right. This would have been my number one, maybe even. Awesome. I guess I'll just do, I'll just come up with three more for a total of four. But um, to me, it was interesting that the message of Close Encounters of the Third Kind was that your family sucks and you should go off with the aliens because that's your only hope. It's, it's, they're just tying you down, man. You got to get on the ship and get out there. That that was the message of Close Encounters? That's what I think the message was of that movie. Okay. <laughs> I see where this we're is going. a preview of yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, what I was going to ask is, are we just going to be arguing about what movies mean? Probably, yeah. considering that sabotage was too arcane for some of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> some of us thought a diversion was a sabotage. That's just, wow. I accept your diversion. <laughs> uh, if you have any picks for best messages in movies, send them to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three. At sign, and then you spell out, you know, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-S, or no, you know how to spell it. Spell out quarter to three, and then put dot com at the end. Send those to us. We would love to read your picks for best messages in movies. Um, next week, we're going to see one of those Bible movies, not oh, the Jesus, Jesus one. Not the, do you guys know there's one that actually came out this week called, uh, and it's doing very well because there's an audience for these things. I think it might even be a documentary called God is Not Dead. Is that the Greg Kinnear one? Is Greg Kinnear involved? There's one called Heaven's Real, and it's like based on a true story, and then like 
Is this the one where the kid uh, say, I saw grandma in heaven, and she says to stop wearing that I don't know anything about it except that it's being marketed to churches, basically, and that it made a lot of money this past week. Um, Passion of the Christ did, too. Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, we'll, we're going to see one of those next week. Maybe it's one of those. Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, we're going to see Noah. It's Jew-centric, because Aronofsky. Starring uh, Russell Crowe, yeah, directed by Aronofsky, uh, co-written by the fellow that, who wrote The Fountain with him. So there's some good news. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's in it, right? Yeah. Wait, why do you say that? Why do you say Jennifer Connelly like that? I don't know. No, no, it's not her, but oh. it's like her, Hopkins. Oh, I like well, Russell Crowe, too. It's like a bunch of people I like in a movie, okay. I suspect, will irritate me. I'm kind of losing. I, my enthusiasm is flagging, so I don't. You're, you're making it. It's flagging? Yeah. Why? Does she you, play uh, Shem, Ham, or Japheth? What's his wife's name? Do we even know? Of course not. Do we know her? Mrs. Noah. Her. It's Mrs. Noah. Duh. Hmm. Well, we're going to see that next week. Uh, join us for that, and then join us for not when we go, but for our discussion of Noah on next week's podcast. And we'll have a three-by-three three about our favorite messages in movies. Um, Why are you dissuading them from attending the movie with us? Maybe that'd be... Or, yeah, come to the movie with us. Uh, the fans. Me and Dingus will be seeing it here in L.A. Kelly Wan will be seeing it down in Orange County, where he lives, because he politically resonates with those people, uh, and he chooses to live down there. Uh, so if you're in either of those locations, tweet us and come see the movie with us. <laughs> Orange County listeners. <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mislowski. Uh, it's actually the Morosky in Christian. <laughs> and Kelly Wand. If you make Samara watch the ring video, does she have to kill herself? I'm just asking. Oh. Will you see if this really may have a pot? You know what? Made it. Tom. You see how you don't made it. You can't just recheck with your record collection. Zumbo, 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 zumbo. Zumbo, 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 Say if you have a paper, you must have a pen. And if you have a start, you must have a end. Say five plus five, it equal to ten. And if you have a boat, you have a pen. And if you have a rooster, you must have a end. Zumbo, 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 Right on, right on, right on. Huh, dingus. Don't ever change, man.